Coco Talk would like to thank the patrons who sponsor our show. So our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Al Hartman, Alan Huffman, Blair Ledoux, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, D. Bruce Moore, Davey Mitchell, Diego, Patrick Randolph, Dinty, Disney Saints fan, Eric Canales, Fedor Stamen, Frodo NL, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Bucata. Jason Downs, Ken Reichert, Kyle Etter, Malfunked, Michael Pitsley, Rick Eulen, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Richard Lorbieski, Jenna Ferrin, Rob Inman, Alan Murphy, Stephen Wagner, Terry Steen, The Backyard Shed Gang, Perry Steggy, Tom C., Tom S., Tim Lindner, and Tony C. Thank you ever so much, patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off color comments were made, we're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. This is Coco Talk the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calore computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Welcome to Coca Talk episode 186, where we're just winging it like that buzzard bait guy. Coca Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tiny flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coca Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. How you doing? Oh. As okay. I enjoy getting more snow after the foot plus we had last week. You can keep it. It was ice by the time I got down here. Actually, you guys sent it up here. It was a Colorado system that hit us. <laughs> Yeah, Colorado. Some of that left-handed snow. That was sending us to terrible weather, Colorado. Although yeah, we had we had, we had 14 inches over the last weekend, and it just snowed again a couple inches last night. So, wow. Jeez, and I'm complaining about leaves. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to worry about leaves anymore. I can't even see them. So, <laughs> yeah, you don't have to worry about raking them. Nope. All right, I guess let's do some panel introductions. Um, let's see. Top corner, as long as stuff doesn't move on me. Uh, first up, we have uh, Sloopy Malibu. Hi. Greetings. Uh, next over, Paul T. Barton. Yahoo. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, now, again, with less feeling. What? 
Where's, where's David Lab when you need him? Yay. Uh, let's see. Next over, okay. Patrick Euland. Howdy, folks. It'll be amazing if I can actually pronounce everyone's name. <laughs> oh, next up on the pal uh, panel. Uh, <laughs> there will be a test. Yes. Hope you're taking J notes. Jason Reichard. Hey, you got it. I was trying to come up with something snappy about uh, promoting ah. the switcheroos and joeys and all the other little things you got. Oh, all those all those little doodads and stuff. Well, I look at it this way. Coco Talk, we're here every week, whether you want us to be or not. Mm. We'll just have to play all 12 commercials to catch everything. At the same time. <laughs> to save time. All right. Next over is L. Curtis Boyle. Hello, everyone. All right. Uh, next up, uh, Terry Stiggy, right? Hey, everybody. How's it going? Our VP. Pretty good. All and right, newsletter so... editor, I think. Anyway, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> next up, uh, Nick Morota. Good afternoon, everybody. How y'all doing? It's good to be and here. Next I'm up. Answer. Next up, <laughs> Nick Morota. Oh. And Nick Morota. Oh, thrice. Very nice. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And thank you. All right. Uh, For a second, I Rob, thought you were having a stroke, but I'm, I'm glad I recovered. So go ahead. I thought I was. I thought I had a memory uh, <laughs> lapse. Record skip. Uh, let's see. Ron Delvo. Hey. How's everybody? Not too bad. Glad to be next to Mr. Marentis. Yep, and that's who's up next. Nick's, uh, uh, Nick Morentes. Hey, good day, everyone. All right. Last on the panel. upside down, Nick. <laughs> yep. You don't Last even see this. Last over on the panel is uh, R. Allen Murphy. Howdy, howdy. Right. Not your hey, Alan, Alan Murphy, but R. Allen Murphy. That's right. Or at least Ann Allen Murphy. Yep. <laughs> we already got a pretty full chat room, too, which is cool. A lot of people there, too, so. Yeah, Hello to all sure of you. Staying, just make sure we're staying socially distanced in the chat room. And I do got to remember to turn on the uh, comments security six so that, lines uh, apart. That's right. Oh, you doing yeah. a local recording as well? Uh, yeah, I did start it just a uh, few right. seconds late, but uh, we can always patch on a new intro if we need to. We well, this is just a rehearsal, right? Yeah, the real show is next week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we got James Jones in chat, Curtis, 8-Bits, Bill Noble, Carl, Tim Franklin, Mikey, David Ladd, Canadian Retro Things, Kevin Holloway, Nimble, and Ryan Sawyer. Welcome to the chat. Who's going to do the David Ladd intros for us? Come on, Jason, give us a David Ladd. Oh, I've, I've got my Diet Dr. Pepper. And I'm so excited here with my grease beetle. <laughs> Wouldn't be a show without it. <laughs> nope. Is it a mm -hmm. is it a show either way? Well, no, but <laughs> I don't know what makes it a show. The fact that people are watching us, or just the fact that we're here. Just, just the fact that us. none of us have lives, and that's why we're here every Saturday, like pathetic little never mind. <laughs> we're on for three hours, and nobody was there to hear us. Would we have? Would we be a show? It's kind of like you know, it's like it's like a weekly users group meeting almost. Um, yeah, a club meeting, kind of. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, that'll work. And then I forget, you know, there might be a couple, there might be a handful of other people that are watching it out on the uh, on the internets. 
We have no agenda, though, I don't think. We have, a, we have an itinerary. Well, we're just winging it today. You see, today's title yeah. is uh, yes. just Coco Talk. We do have an agenda. It's to promote the cocoa. So. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Promote the cocoa, <laughs> promote Diet Dr. Pepper, and just wing it. Yep, just winging it. Speaking of which, uh, do we want to move into the high score challenge? Sure, may as well. All right. Uh, I think we have uh, a, um, a Cocoa Fox. Uh, come up today, so a fresh one. Yeah, a fresh one. So hold on, to uh, Ron. Fresh is a relative. Oh boy. Term, but go ahead. All right. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. Those who like retro, 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 don't need the latest. I think of Joust Clones, Joust Clones, Joust Clones, Buzzer Bass the Greatest. <laughs> okay, you pull it down now. I'm going to fly on an ostrich, and you'll see. Fly on an ostrich, be attacked by enemies. I'm Fly on an ostrich. Eggs are free. Oh Lord, there's a pterodactyl. Kill the bad knight. Whose top altitude you beat? Catch the drop dates, or they'll get a new seat. Avoid the troll. Lava and the heat. Oh no, another pterodactyl. I'm gonna fly on an ostrich. Jousting spree. Fly on an ostrich. Rapid flapping is the key. I'm gonna fly on an ostrich. It's all glee. Still hate the pterodactyl. <laughs> <laughs> Is over. <laughs> oh gosh. That high score challenge. All right, and welcome to another week of results. This week we played Buzzard Bait, the best game for the Coco One and Two, with twenty-seven players. Mark B, fourteen hundred. RL and Murphy, 16,950. Adam Tandy Dragon Guy, 19,400. Marcy, 23,350. Ken Reichard, 24,150. Damon Beals, 31,000. Rogelio Perea, 31,550. Canadian Retro Things, 32,450. Frodo NL, 34,900. Joshua Craker, 39,600. OG Stevie Stro, 42,900. Louis, 46,700. David Ladd, 51,200. 8 Bits in the Basement, 55,550. Nathan, 55,650. Tom C, 56,650. Mr. Dave, 59,750. Brendan Donahue, 60,650. Jim Rye, 81,050. AC's 8-Bit Zone, 82,300. David Craker, 97,000. Low Level, 100,250. 
Ben Vier Drake's 101,000. L. Curtis Boyle, 103,100. Tasman, 166,650. Chet Simpson, 204,950. And the number one score protecting my honor is me with 232,550. If I say where to go, that's going to sound egotistical. But thank you to all the participants in a fantastic week. Don't worry, you still sounded egotistical. Oh, good. That's, that's <laughs> what I was going for. As long as that's what you were going for. I'm going to share my What was What was Curtis's mark? score? 103,000 something? Actually, I okay. placed higher than I was expecting, so I'm pleasantly surprised. And a lot of swearing. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't, I'm not recording video on that one, that's for sure. <laughs> well, I wasn't trying for low score, but I, I mean, I was, was trying to get the thing going. I just couldn't seem to get the winging. Hold on, I'm having trouble. Just a sec. Hopefully you'll do better with Lancer there, Mark, because it has smoother flying. All right, I can fill in with the $5 (laughs) uke. There we go. Okay, what do you see? I see... About a darn thing. Okay. I see dead people. I didn't see my score. I see. I see a bunch of, I I a bunch of out, old Sloopy? men playing with a thirty-year-old computer. Sloopy, yep. did I leave you out? Yep. Oh yeah. no, I'm so sorry. It's all that's good. Actually, that's actually a pretty elite club. I've been left off there before. <laughs> what, was what was your, your score? score, Sloopy? Uh, fifty-six. I think it was. Fifty-six oh, man. total, or fifty-six hundred. Fifty-six thousand. Fifty-six. Okay. Yeah, I because scored, I, was, I should have scored a fifty-six, but I I didn't uh, yeah. didn't didn't uh, didn't have time to participate this week. Yeah, because it was before I figured out how to change the uh, Coco Three from high speed to low speed, and every time I played in low speed, I would only get about thirty thousand. Mm. So this is weird. I'm not seeing the window to share. Let me try again. Is that I'm maybe? Not, I'm not yeah. seeing my browser window. Mm. To share yeah, 10, 13 p.m. on November 11th. Oh, there it is. Yeah. There we go. It's all good. Hey, Sloopy, my, my deepest apologies. So that means we actually had 28 players this week. Uh, I will add you to the uh, list for, uh, that goes up on the, uh, in the Discord channel. What, uh, can you tell me again what your score was? Uh, let me look. <laughs> Oh, well, it should be up on Discord, right? Yeah, but I'd have to yeah. scroll through a bunch of things to get it. Oh, he, he missed it the first time, so. <laughs> so here are the scores from back in the day. Again, uh, could be accurate, may not be, not sure. Is there million. one for like three gazillion? Uh, yeah. Oh, There's only also, six digits, so that means these people wrapped it twice? Uh, I don't know, <laughs> yeah. So take it with a grain of salt. There's an asbestos in Quebec. And, oh, speaking of the uh, the participants, I wanted to give a special shout-out to Joshua Quaker. He's one of our young players who was seven when he started the challenge. Uh, and now he turned eight last week. So happy belated birthday to Joshua Quaker. And Woo-hoo! also on knowledge, we have a couple of other sons who played this week. We have Nathan, who's AC's son. Louie, who's 8-bit son, so we really enjoy having the uh, fathers and sons who take part together, so uh, 
Thank you very much for participating. Especially when the sons show up, the fathers on the game scores. That's the best part. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, all right. So there are the scores here. And there's a review, which was favorable. I don't expect you to be able to read that. but Oh, I was going to send you the other reviews too. Sorry, Nick. I forgot to. Oh, that's okay. Uh, so they liked this game. They thought it was an amazing game for the co- showing what the Coco 1 and 2 are capable of. Um, so, yeah, I agree, obviously. <laughs> this is one of my favorite games. Uh, so here's some gameplay footage from Canadian Retro Things. Thank you for sending that in. And, uh, okay, well, I'm just going to start off and say, you guys know this is my favorite game for the Coco, uh, for the Coco 1 and 2, so there's no real... You're not going to hear anything you didn't know already. Um, I used to play this game a lot when I was a teenager and uh, when I had the Coco back in the day. And I've played it. I've, this is the game I still play the most today of all the games on my Coco. I just like to fire it up and have a quick game here and there. Um, very faithful reproduction. It's got everything that the arcade has. The, uh, the, um, and this isn't a slight on any future games, Curtis. It has like the, the lava hand and the, and the lava the, and the fire and the, and the uh, everything. The board layout's the same and the levels with the gladiator wave when you're two player and everything's pretty much the same as the arcade. And I believe the guys who wrote this Rugby Circle were commissioned later on to create clones for or create official Joust versions for the consoles. Isn't that correct, Curtis? Yes, I can't remember which one they did. They also did what was it? The Atari ST, the Amiga version, I think they did too. I can't remember the exact details, but yeah, they were commissioned to do the official port for some some machines. So that's really I, cool. I like mentioned here, got... too, there was other reviews of uh, Buzzard Bait, Color Computer Magazine, the January 1984 issue. Reviews it as well. You can get that on the Color Computer Archive if you want to take a, a look at that one. And it was also in Hot Cocoa in the January 1984 issue. So it was actually three reviews. And were they good reviews? I, from what I remember, yes. I, I just have like I made a list of all the game reviews between the non-Rainbow magazines because we didn't have an index for those. Oh, so okay. I actually do have something I can look up every once in a while. I should send oh, you the whole nice. list, then you can yeah, actually you find. Should. That'd be awesome. I always look in the Rainbow because we have that text searchable index. So I always yeah, and I just manually made one just for is. games. I didn't re- you know oh. I didn't make a full index. Yeah, and now uh, Karen's actually done a, uh, an index of um, Dragon User magazine, and some of these games were sold for the Dragon too. So maybe I'll grab that and we can use that as well for you know what they thought of the games on the other side of the pond no offense to canadian retro things the colors are inverted on this if you hold down i, the I F1 pointed that out key, to him. yeah if you hold down the f1 key when you start up the computer coco powered on or reset it'll come up with a purple screen instead of green and then this game will be orange lava instead of blue hey this yeah. is the ice this could be the ice planet right well, he mentioned in the comments too. I think something along the lines, you know, in his in his world where you can ride an ostrich, lava is blue. So, well, there you go. Who says? <laughs> Why are we putting him in a box? <laughs> Who are we to put Canadian retro things in a box? I'm sorry, Ken. That's terrible. So anyway, uh, so I, I, what did you guys think of the game? And I, I welcome comments from Chad as well. I'll save mine scathing comments for later. If you guys want to, why don't you tell me why this is the best game for the Coco one and two? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, no, it's, it's a mixed review for me. I, I, I got both versions, um, Lancer and buzzard bait roughly around the same time. Probably in 84, I think it was. Um, and, and they both have strong points and both have weak points and both are quite good. So I, I don't, I don't like literally my, my favoritism is, Slight. It's not huge. It's not it's like, a, oh, this game's way better. 
in all fairness, it's it's just it's a just friendly rivalry we have. If, if all if we had um, Lancer, nothing else, I would be I would have been happy with it. So I mean, it's, it's yeah, same it's, thing it's, with Buzzard Bay too. Yeah, it's nice we had a couple of good clones because there's some other arcade clones that we have multiple clones of uh, for the Coco, where some are actually not very good and some are you know outstanding. Oh, Pac Man has no good clones on the Coco. Yeah, it does. There's the uh, Transco. There's wow, okay. That's not a clone. That's a, yeah, I don't count that as a clone. <laughs> that's the actual. Well, Nick's is a clone. He didn't have the oh, original Nick. code. Yeah, Nick did a really good version. Was yeah, that available he made it really difficult. The, was that available back in the day, though? Yeah. I don't remember. 90, wow. 90, oh, 90. Yeah, oh, wow. 97. So, dang pterodactyls. Apparently, if you uh, hit them in the mouth with your lance, you can kill them, but it's very difficult. Yeah, you pretty much have to line up with their tongue, I think, or something like that. Isn't I've it? never actually done it. I just avoid them and, die and lose a lot of lives. You get I've a life... done it both in Lancer and in, in uh, Buzzard Bait. You get a life yeah, you're right. It's 10, not easy. You get a life every 10,000, thank goodness. And, uh, and uh, I'm going to switch over to uh, another feed. I like to show all the videos we get. This one is by uh, Ben VR Drakes. So uh, let's go forward a little bit just to show some... So yeah, um, sorry, go ahead. Any, anybody else have anything they want to say? Oh, uh, <laughs> James Diffendaffer pointed out there are no buzzards in this game, to which I always say there's no donkeys in Donkey Kong either, so. Well, there's donkeys in Donkey Kong, but usually that's the player. Oh. he's an ass. <laughs> Canadian retro things is called, would call it blue raspberry lava. Oh, and we're supposed to be, we're not we're supposed to be stop being nice to each other. So what do we have to turn in our Canadian passports? What do you want us to do? <laughs> oh, so David Craker is saying ahead of time, of the three Joust games, Buzzard Bait is by far the most fun, but the other two are also enjoyable. And he will keep an open mind for the next two weeks. Spoiler alert. But you guys already knew that. And he hates those pterodactyls. He lost almost all his life to them. Yep, same. Yep. <clears throat> pretty much, That's pretty yeah. You get your free life every 10,000 and burn a few lives on each pterodactyl level. I should mention, too, if I remember correctly, Buzzard Bait is actually the name of one of the levels in the arcade version, isn't it? I think yeah. when it starts off, it says, prepare to joust Buzzard Bait. Yeah, so that's where the name came from. And I think Buzzard Bait is like, you know, uh, you know the, when you die in, in the desert and Buzzard Circle, you become Buzzard Bait because you're dead. I think that's where the name comes from. Oh, well, Buzzard Bait to me sounds like a joust tribute band. It could be. Their songs include what, like Joust and Fly Like an Eagle, and uh... I don't know. That's as far as I took that one. Oh, I see. I I, I took it and yeah, I went. See, they further. they can't all be winners, so just. I I tried to make it better, and I don't think I did. Now, do you guys have any strategies for playing this? Besides avoiding pterodactyls like the plague, <laughs> David Loud is saying technically Pegasus and Phantom Virus is oh isn't a clone of Joe. Oh, he's David's contesting that's a clone of Joust. Well, we'll talk about that next week. But I think uh, it's I think it would be considered Joust inspired, just kind of like uh, we'll like do a, Yeah, I have it as a Joust derivative on my website on the derivatives page, which are arcade games that are a base for a Coco game, but the Coco takes it a different direction or changes a few things up to make it a little bit more unique. And Pegasus is under that. It's definitely inspired by it. We'll, we'll talk about that during co co Point Counterpoint next week. We'll have a, a panel discussion. Um, is this the McLaughlin group? Exactly. Joust is not a... Pegasus is not a clone of Joust! Jason, Wrong. what do you say? Wrong! Wrong! <laughs> <laughs> 
So I think the uh, different colored players, just like the arcade version, have different uh, skills. The blue ones are the ones that stick closest to the sky, to the top of the screen. And then the, uh, the red and white ones have, I think, differing levels of, uh, or orange and white, I should say, have different skill levels or different flight patterns, maybe. Uh, somebody yep. mentioned in Discord later on, and I agree with them, that bouncing off the ceiling is a great way to, uh, to uh, take out a few of, the, of those birds and start to sort of bounce off one under the other and stuff. Yeah, so and sometimes you fun. bounce into a bird on the underside, so then you dive. Yeah, you got to keep your eye on the other side and make sure nobody's wrapping around. And there's an annoying bug I noticed with the egg. If the egg is halfway off the screen, like on the, the, the ledge that's there currently, uh, and if it's halfway off the screen, you can't get it until it turns into a man. You just go through it. So I found that kind of annoying. And, okay. there's also, and there's also a bug sometimes where if you hit the, the stacked ledges on the right there, if you hit them a certain way, you go through. Uh, you threw where the top ledge is over the bottom ledge if you go at it at an angle. So I don't that's know if that's a bug. Arcade homage because you can do that in the arcade. Okay. One of those little secret tricks that uh, some people used. You oh. Can zoom through there and get one of the one of the knights that's flying on the bottom level. Oh, okay. So they put that in there on purpose then. So that's good. So yeah, you can actually go through that where the two blo- where the one ledge is stacked on top of the other. One thing I will mention, this goes for any of the Joe's clones. Uh, Two-player simultaneous mode is awesome. That was something the arcade had, too, in one of the earlier games that did it. Because there are some waves where you get bonus points if you help each other, like the survival be, waves. That's and then four there's and nine. where you're supposed to try to kill the other player, you know, oh, to be yes. greedy and get extra points. So Yeah, that's four and nine. This was really fun to play with siblings. Yes, definitely. Yes, I seem great. to recall I played, and it's also a little, bit e- a little bit easier in that you can divide and conquer the enemies. I seem to recall I played this with one of my sisters and actually wrapped the game around level 100. Uh, back. This was back in the day. I can't, uh, the best I did this time was somewhere in the 20s. Um, I don't. So if uh, you did, if you wrapped 100, did you wrap the score too? I don't remember the score. I just remember being interested in the level number. I wanted to see what happened to the level number and that wrapped. But I don't remember what happened to the score. All I know is it didn't crash. It kept playing until we died. So, I got a question. Is that stinky poop at the bottom or is that a fire? It's fire. Oh. It's lava on fire. Okay. Yeah. And it I actually figured... burns the ledge off when it, when it erupts at an earlier level. So it's a very faithful arcade translation, um, except possibly the flight mechanics, you'd probably say, right, Curtis? The flight. I think the flight in the The, the two things that I would say are little... different. Different than the arcade is the flight mechanics um, is one, and then two, the uh, the players and the enemies are proportionally quite a bit larger. Yeah, you have less space to fly around in proportionally. Yeah. Than in, than and that's one of the reasons I do prefer Lancer. Unfortunately, that the the take back from that is that also they're not as detailed, so they don't look as good. So it's a give or take thing. Yeah. So just it's preference. I guess yeah, we're getting a little bit. Poor animals getting fried down there. Actually, yeah. Lavatrol's got a hold on them. That's one thing they did better in Buzzard Bait than Lancer. The Lavatrol actually has the hand come out, whereas the uh, Lancer one just sucks you in like it's a black hole or something. So, a bit in the basement made a comment. I don't know if this is about Joust. It's probably about Joust. Ready Player One says, Player One is on an ostrich, two on a goose, and the AI are buzzards. At least according to the idiot in the book. <laughs> well, I remember they Linder. play it. Yeah, I remember they play it in the book, but I don't remember the exact... Uh... 
yeah. like David Craker's comment too. He said, two players of blast and buzzer bait. Joshua destroyed me in the gladiator wave and felt pretty good about it. I'm sure he did. Revenge <laughs> is a, you know what? Scott Cooper played digital analog. He preferred the deluxe joystick the best. Yeah, I do, I preferred the the Black Beauty. This I prefer, uh, this was definitely this definitely took into play account analog, so you could kind of alter your flight trajectory with the analog stick, which I don't think Joust was analog. Joust was digital, so that might have been an enhancement that of if I'm correct. So that, I'm not sure. I, I played with a deluxe joystick myself in my brief ray into it. So yeah, I never Good. tried the deluxe joystick, but I like the round edge of the of the buzz of the uh black beauty so i played with black beauty uh terry steen said buzzer bait was his favorite so good and so like the arcade so yeah a lot of people really like this game um yeah i can't remember which one of those two came out first i think lancer might have beat uh, buzzer bait to market by just a couple months maybe so maybe that's another reason too i might have got in it first and you, you know the first love thing yeah could be well, I never played Lancer at all, so this is the one I played a lot. So, uh, probably probably why I love it so much. But even back in the day, it was the game I played uh, the most. Just fire it up and play. And, and this is one of those ones too, where a fairly well-known software company, the Rugby Circle, because they did stuff for the Tier City Model Ones and Threes. They did other Coco games too, like um, old Death Traps one off the top of my head, Color Caterpillars, another. But they didn't actually sell them themselves. They sold them through Tom Mix, so they had this kind of arrangement thing, which was a little bit different. Any anyone know why pterodactyl has a P? Because he drinks That's much the water. The scientist spelled it. Is it Latin or something? I'm not even sure. Like the real flying dinosaur thingy is is spelled that way. I like hmm. Nick's answer answer better. What he drinks water? He drinks too much water. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you can't hear them go to the bathroom because the P is silent. <laughs> I got. I got bump. I got two of them. Those are them. That's it. Scott well, Cooper says, I think a shorter stick on the analog sticks works better for him, too. So, yeah, there seems to be a few people who like the Black Beauty on this. Yeah. Just cut it off. Cut the stick off. Grab it part way down. Well, if you got the old silver-tipped uh, Black Beauties, you can actually just unscrew the handle, and then you have the short stick. James Jones says pterodactyl equals wing finger, if I remember rightly. So, it possibly... Oh, dactyl means fingers for sure, or hand. I know that. I learned that on Jeopardy the other day. Uh, so, yeah, it could be. And, yeah, because uh, there's a condition for cats if they have too many fingers on their paws. It's something dactyl, isn't it? It's polydactyl. Uh, yes. my, my cat, Rocky, is a polydactyl. He has an extra toe on his uh, front paws. Oh, somebody pointed out, and, and this is mentioned on your site too, Curtis, that the buzzard bait for the dragon required a dongle to load. Yep. That plugged into the joystick port, correct? That I don't remember. Sixty can tell us in the that's Karen in the chat room there, the author of X War, so he'll he'll know. Yeah. He would have to you know simulate some of this stuff or at least test with it. Yeah. Funky fish for four hundred there. Uh, yeah. So probably if it was a joystick port, it probably did some sort of sequence of numbers that the game was looking for or something. Who knows? I wonder. Yep, left joystick port while loading. Okay. Oh, so it was probably some type of re resistance check or something it was looking for. So does that mean you could cheat and actually just move the joystick to a certain spot that would match whatever the dongle does? And I, it anyway? I, I got to wonder. I, I'm just guessing. Yeah, I wonder if you put that yeah. in and printed the joystick values, if you could see what it was doing. 
But then you would have to exactly hit 62.24 or whatever. And yeah, but if you wrote a basic program ahead of time, moved it to that position, and then loaded it. <laughs> steady, Don't touch my joystick. Oh, wait, Sixty's saying he hasn't emulated yet, but he's pretty sure it just alternates between two different values. Okay, forget my idea then, because you have to flip the joystick back and forth. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that'd be interesting, because that's... Uh... Yeah, and we we never saw copy protection based on the joystick port here that I remember. I mean, we've got a few no. things that require the hardware to run, like Coco Max originally ver original versions anyway. But that, we never had copy protection like that. We had you know weird sectors on a disc or something like that, but not extra hardware like that. Well, and what disc wasn't all that uh, popular with the Dragon, so yeah, cause mainly because of the price. Yeah. Because I think proportionally, you could probably buy like three dragons for the price of one disk drive. I don't know if Joe, I don't know if Kieran's joking, but he says I need to take a scope to it. I'd be interested to hear what it does. Absolutely. Yeah. Also, Nick, I, I sent you on Discord in the private uh, chat between us uh, the text file that contains the links to the other. Oh, great! So you can use that in the future if you want to. After the game news, if you want to take a look at those and, and see if there's anything you want to repeat from those at the end of that, we can kind of revisit the the reviews too. Okay. So, are we pretty much done with this one? Maybe. Sounds like we've... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have too many strategies for this one, really. Um, yeah, hang around. The egg wave, I try to kill off. I try to get all the eggs as quickly as possible so they don't launch. <laughs> I tend uh, to hang around here when the birds are spawning. You see my cursor? Okay. My cursor on the screen there? I hang over this ledge on the, the middle ledge on the left. That's where I like to hang while the birds are spawning and get and just get these guys and get the ones coming through and hop up here. That's that I usually get can clear of, you know, three, four of them right at the beginning by starting over here. And when I play with my uh, when I play a two player, uh, usually one player will be here and one player will be on the other side here. I don't like to start at the bottom. It's too even when it's that ledge isn't there, the bottom ledge, I like I like to start always on this ledge where the, the left hand middle ledge. Yeah, I usually try to stay up on the near the top of the screen myself too. Actually, that's on both versions. Yeah, mainly because if you're underneath, that's more opportunity for people to fall on you, and you always die if you're the lower one. Or if you try to fly up, you might hit somebody. So if you're up high, that eliminates a bunch of them from being able to do that right off the bat. So I think it's safer. Yeah, because sometimes the bird will get the birds will get smart and just like lay, be on top and just drop down. So you don't want that to happen. Yeah. So yeah, that's I mean that's that's about it for strategy. Oh, and to get and for the score because we're going for score, the first couple levels I'd kind of milk. I'd get the egg, I'd, I'd kill the guy, let the egg hatch, get him again, let the egg hatch, until it until. Until uh, you get bored. Uh, no, until the pterodactyl comes out. Doesn't like oh, right, yeah. Long. Yeah. So that's far less uh, boring. Even on level one, the pterodactyl comes out uh, in uh, not too long of a time. So. So I'd, I'd milk it two, three times just to get, you know, an extra, f especially if you catch the egg, you get a 500 point bonus for catching the egg before it hits the ground. So you get, you know, 750 or a thousand bonus every time. So. Now, yeah. now Sloopy had mentioned playing this at double speed. Did anybody else try that? Like, is it, is it a lot faster or I did, I didn't try that personally. I didn't try it. I personally think it's fast enough. I don't think I'd want it running at double speed. Yeah. yeah I didn't do that intentionally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't play it like that intentionally. Well, when you played it both ways, though, did was did you find double speed like too fast, or or did it actually help the game? Um, actually, it wasn't too bad. The biggest issue I had at double speed was getting to the top of the screen because you had to push the button 
faster um, to go up. And things like time things happen faster, like the pterodactyl came out sooner. Oh, yeah, okay, because the timer would be running twice as fast, too. And I'm pretty sure that's not frame locked. Somebody's asking, oh, okay, it bits asked if the dactyl was killable only on level eight, and Curtis answers should be on all levels. Yeah, it should be on all levels. Yeah. I think every time it says unbeatable in quotes with a question mark, so that's a hint that it's always killable. It's just very hard. Yeah, I I'm trying to remember, and, and Alan Murphy, you, <laughs> Anna Murphy, you might remember this better than I do, but was there a strategy for killing the pterodactyl in the arcade version? Yeah, there were some people that figured out how to do it fairly easily, but I never found the way. There, It's just that you had to time it based on how the pterodactyl flapped its wings. Okay. Yeah, because I never figured it out in any of the versions of the Coco, um, you know, what the strategy was. I could do it once in a blue moon by accident, but definitely not with any predictability. Well, you know, practical, practically what you had to do, you had to get the thing, the, the lance, you know, in his throat. But Yeah, and I can't remember, did you have to hit when the mouth was open, or could you kill when the mouth was closed? No, when the mouth is open. Only when the mouth is open? In the arcade, it would lunge at you with its mouth open. I don't know, and I don't know yeah. if this does as well. Oh, and that reminds me too. There's two versions of the game: one that makes a sound, and one that doesn't. Apparently, I think you said that on your site, Curtis. I did. Okay, I, I don't remember that. <laughs> but it's I quite possible. So. Buzzerbait was been a page I did a long time ago. Yeah, one where because in the arcade, the buzzer the buzzard made a screeching sound when it lunged at you. So. Yeah, Terry Steen is saying you had to stab it in the tongue when the mouth was open. When the mouth was open, which but is I like a single had, pixel high. So good luck. I thought it kept its mouth open when it lunged at you, but I could be wrong on that. My memory is a joust. It's funny. I didn't really play joust much in the arcade. And I will say this game, uh, yeah, this game is easier than joust in the arcade was. I mean, that's, and um, I don't know if Lancer was as generous with the extra lives as Buzzard Bait was because free life every I don't think so. You had so, more room to maneuver to dodge. That was the one thing that was a bit easier you know, as far as the yeah. pterodactyl went, but. So I will admit, I in some ways, this game is probably easier than, you know, than Joust and Lancer and whatnot. Some ways it's easier, some ways it's harder. I mean, like, as you've pointed out, the buzzer bait, you know, you will spawn all the enemies in one shot, like, continuously, whereas Lancer will limit it to four okay, at a time. Let's see if the, oh yeah, the pterodactyl does lunge, and it looks like he keeps his mouth open. Let's see if he does it again. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know. It's hard to tell if the mouth stays open or not. I can't uh, focus on the... Is this uh, Chet's game or whose game? No, is this? this is no Chet didn't make a video. I don't think this is uh, this is Canadian Retro Things again. Oh, okay. Canadian Retro Things and Ben VR Drake submitted videos this week. Thank you guys for doing that. <laughs> ben says I killed the dactyl in my first attempt at the challenge by accident. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much how it's done by accident. Oh yeah, when there's more than one pterodactyl and you're only one player, forget it. Yeah. Oh, and then both both versions do that too. So that's. Uh... Yeah, if you dilly daddle too long on a level, you're going to get just a screen full of them. Oh, except Canadian Retro Things will prove us wrong. You're, if you dilly dally, you'll get dactled. Oh, he did it. Yeah. Good. So, for anyway, yeah. I wonder if Ben has put this game on his uh, 3D frame. Yeah, I want to see him jump around trying to flap his arms there. That would be awesome. <laughs> oh, yes. On his treadmill. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> Oh my gosh! <laughs> All right, are we ready to uh, talk about next week's game? Yep. 
It's not really a secret because no of the special secret. sequence we're doing this time. But Exactly. For those who pay attention at home, we're going to continue the Joust theme. Whether this is a Joust clone or not, we'll talk about that next week. But <laughs> uh, the uh, Canadian Retro things, this isn't me. The score is too high. What? I don't know. I gotta talk to him. Anyway, our score, our game next week is Pegasus and the Phantom Riders, which is a Joust-inspired game at the very least. You're riding a winged horse, and it's the same rules. You have to uh, be be positioned higher than your enemy, and instead of eggs, crosses go to the ground, and you have to go get them. And uh, it has these fancy dithered uh, graphics, and you actually the stage changes. You actually fly towards the island as you get further. Yeah. As you see. So, it's got little niceties too, like the little sharks swimming in the water. There's a thing that launches fireballs at you from the water too. And so it, it's definitely a derivative, not a clone. It takes the gameplay elements of, you know, the flying the thing and trying to hit something from above type thing, but uh, does add some extra elements. And the, the pseudo 3D of flying towards the islands as you go through the stages. I always thought that was pretty awesome. Okay, I'm going to go back to the beginning. Uh, I want to go back to... Uh, I want to show Canadian Retro Things something. That looks like Canadian Retro Things to me. He's saying that's not his game, but look. So if somebody is either cloning you or, <laughs> or you forgot. <laughs> so, that, so our game next week is Pegasus and the Phantom Riders. And I thought it'd be a good to do it in this order. So, well, a couple of reasons. One, it works out fortuitously for our birthdays. Uh, yep. And two, it breaks up the joust a little bit with uh, birds versus horses. I thought, you know, mix it up a little bit anyway. So um, hopefully uh, you guys will take part. And uh, I, it'll be great to see what you guys can do with this game next week. And uh, thank you, Mark. And thank you, everybody who played. Thank you, panel. And... Thank you all. Good night. Is there a Pegasus game that's uh, OS9? Not that I'm aware of. There's Cavewalker for OS9, which is kind of a download oh. sequel. Okay. And it's by Spectral, the same people that did Pegasus. But Okay. All right. What do you say we uh, run a uh, commercial break and then go into the... Uh, game on uh, news? Yeah, the game on... Hi, this is Eddie Zerbinski from beautiful Quebec City. Vous écoutez Coco Talk. As you're enjoying Coco Talk, we also want to remind you about the Coco Discord server. This is a place where people come to connect, to ask questions, to provide answers, to share information, and to socialize. So when you're done, why don't you head on over to the Coco Discord server and we'll continue the conversation there. The easy to remember link is discord.cocotalk.live. See you on Discord! Coco123 is the Glenside Color Computer Club community newsletter that's been in publication since 1985. While the Rainbow Magazine may be gone, it doesn't mean you still can't have a cool Coco periodical. Head on over to the Glenside Color Computer website at glensideccc.com and then click on the Documents link to view all the past issues of the Coco123 
newsletter. Not only can you read all of the past and present issues, we'd also love to hear some submissions from you. So if you'd like to send an article, a column, something to talk about, maybe even a program listing, send an email to glensideccc at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. The Cocoa World Map is a cool community resource where you can view coconuts from around the world. Head on over to map.cocotalk.live and see where your fellow coconutians happen to be living on the planet Earth. If you would like to submit yourself to be on the Cocoa Map, send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live and we look forward to seeing you on the Cocoa Map. Hey guys, it's Stevie Stroh, and if you've been watching Coco Talk for a while, hopefully you understand that everyone is welcome to join this show. You don't need an impressive resume to get on. You just need to enjoy the Coco and be willing to talk about it. There is no wrong way to Coco. There is no wrong way to be a fan of the Coco. There's no wrong way to be on Coco Talk. You just have to want to talk Coco. So if you would like to join us, then reach out to us on our Discord server, which is discord.cocotalk.live, or send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live, and let's get you on the show, and let's talk about the Coco. Hi, I'm Tim, and you're watching Coco Talk Live. And I'm playing Daggereth online like that idiot from the book. Uh, can you can you dial back on the condescension there as you respond there? Okay, you have to wait till I can share the screen. Yeah, I gotta find where the button is. There it is. <laughs> okay, now I gotta make sure I share the right screen. That's the next one. <laughs> hey, you guys seen that? Retro Rick? Okay, so Retro Rick, who is Richard Kelly, uh, he's been doing some Coco Games programming lately. We've uh, featured his Ladderman 2 game, which is a basic game, actually, quite a good one, a platformer. With multiple levels, like dozens. Um, but he's been uploading some gameplay video demos to his YouTube channel. So he's got three up so far. So he's got his artillery game for Coco 1 and 2, and he's got a maze maker for the Coco 3, and, and not another expressway ripoff for the Coco 1 and 2. So um, check those out. He just re uploaded them too. He originally put some up that were pretty bad quality, um, and then he just redid them all. And now they're in, in really good quality. So you can check those out. Um, I won't play them here because they're you know a little bit long in some cases, but uh, definitely go check them out. Cuthbert Dragon. Now, he's a guy that did some Dragon videos way back, and he plays on real hardware, so he's always filmed it on the CRTs. Um, he just started firing up his Dragon again recently and has been doing gameplay videos again. But one thing he's changed this time is on almost all of the videos, he's actually got a picture of the original cassette case for the Dragon version of the game. So you have to see the actual artwork and stuff that was sold for the Dragon. And I will be honest here, the UK did much better at doing artwork for their cassette cases and discs than we ever did in North America. Ours were just basically generic labels with the name of the company. It might be a color label if you're lucky. They did full color graphics on these things. So I don't know how well these are showing up or shrunk down, but I mean, like Speed Race from Planet Invasion Space or Phantom Slayer, Cuthbert in the Jungle, Cashman, I mean, they all got this beautiful artwork. 
Um, I'm not going to play a bunch of these here, but just to show you some of them, if you guys want to take a look through the list on the screen, you people here on the panel, and just pick one or two you want to see, and I'll fire up the video long enough so you can see what the artwork looks like. Space War. Cash Man. Okay, Space War first. He also picks theme music for each, and he tries to pick something that fits. Sometimes if it's an arcade clone, he'll actually take the arcade music and, and play it. So that's Space War. What was one you said, Jason? Uh, Cash Man. Okay. Like wonder if that looks like ours. Where was Cash Man? Bottom center. There we are. So that's actually from the ad that I think Rainbow had shown for one or two months before they just made it as part of the general Computer Shack ad. Hmm. You see it's like nicely painted. and Is the game just like the one we play? Yes, except it's PAL. So they had to play with the uh, P-Mode 3 color sets or they had to play black and white because they didn't have artifact colors. Okay. That's a great game. Yes. Have we played that yet on our... Uh, did we, I, Nick? I can't even remember. I think we did, didn't we? You know. Well, I, I can't remember. Nick, I have to check the uh, master list of uh, Game On Challenge. Yes, I believe we did. I thought so too. I okay, and I'll, I'll do one or two more here, and then we'll go on to the next segment. But you guys want to pick another another one or two to look at? Frogger. Okay, and if somebody wants Frogger to pick a dragon-specific like. one so we can see something that we wouldn't have seen here. And that uh, artwork there is right from the Cornsoft Group's full-page ad they did when they released Frogger for the Coco. Well, actually, they used the same artwork when they did the Model 1 and 3 versions as well. Cornsoft? <laughs> yeah, the Cornsoft Group. <laughs> They did a yep. few Coco games. They did Scarf Man, which is one of the very few 4K machine language games released. They did Frogger. They did Avenger, which is talking about derivative games again. It's kind of a derivative of Defender. It's not quite the same as No Humans to Rescue, but they did add a few things like a mothership and mutant waves and stuff too. So Now, if you guys want to pick a dragon-specific one, so he's got a few here. He's got Toppler. He's got Pit Fiend, Leggett. Jet Boot Colin, um, Robin Hood. Is Danger Ranger? Danger Ranger's Coco 1 too. Oh. It was actually first on the Coco. Ugg was another one that was dragon only. So if you guys want to pick one of those, we'll take a look at one. Uh, Robin Hood, I guess. And that's got Cuthbert in it as Robin Hood. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the mascot for the dragon. And you notice this is one of these dirt cheap pocket money softwares, like two pounds back, you know, mm -hmm. like five bucks maybe. They had a lot more of those. I mean, we didn't have really a cheap software company. I think Tomix's Novasoft is probably the closest where they dropped the prices down to 15 to 20 bucks instead of the, you know, 25 to 40 that most were. Um, the closest we had were the cassette magazines like Chromaset and T&D and, and that kind of thing. So the, they actually had these here, you know, selling for dirt cheap prices. And then later, uh, well, T&D had some of the uh, Tom Mix stuff on them later. That's how I got Yeah, after Tom Mix got out of selling them themselves, they also resold Spectral and a few other companies, too, that Computerware, I think, might have even had some there. They eventually got, you know, several companies' catalogs and just put one or two on each tape as the months went on. I want a I'm, Dragon Cup now. Yeah, that's a nice <laughs> cup, isn't it? Yeah. 
I also understand if you bought the Amstrad game machine, you could buy those $2 tape games for 25 pounds in a cartridge. So hmm. you got that going. I, actually, you know, Dragon, you could too, because quite a few of the games there were sold on cartridge that never were here. But they, they would just take a tape game that you get for two bucks, put it on a cartridge. Here you go. Buy it. <laughs> it, it made a little bit of sense because, I mean, if you watch some of the bigger games getting loaded, like he actually, some of the channels on YouTube show people loading the game in, and it's sometimes like a three-minute wait if it's a 32K game. So, or the so cartridge is just like, bang, you're on and you're playing. So I left my computer on three, four games at a time. <laughs> instant loading program loaded. packs. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess it was, did you need the instant gratification? Was that worth the 10 times the price difference, I guess? I don't know. It wasn't for me, but. I, mean, I thought that was really cool, and he's he's actually been just blasting the other. He actually threw out a couple just this morning, so I'm actually I'm I'm, I'm enjoying seeing the artwork here because it's, it's nice seeing it. You can find some of the artwork on the uh, Dragon Archive as well. People have scanned in the tape instructions and the labels and stuff, but it's just nice kind of seeing it in its original case right beside a Dragon mug, and then the gameplay right afterwards. It's nice and convenient. Next up, uh, Jim Gary, <clears throat> and we covered this last week. He's working on putting a program called warns world the lost colony which is a strategy game that uh, a simulation strategy that he's been porting from a pc and he's got an update to it here as he gradually gets the gameplay closer and closer to being finished i'm pretty sure this will require the 16k expansion or maybe even the mcx eventually depending on how much memory it uses but It's, it's similar along the lines of like Erland or Castle Greymoon or Viking and, and some of the other simulations like that where you're in command of a kingdom and you have to distribute food, etc. So I used to play these a lot back in the late 80s. Um, now I just don't have the time or inclination to really play them. The only one of, of these type of games I still play semi-regularly would be Gangbusters because you're a, a mobster and you have to like, you know, kill people to get your bones and buy bulletproof cars and stuff. So. Uh, next up here, I will mention the Color Computer Archive, which is, you know, it's updated constantly. And I, I literally could spend, you know, a sequence on every single show of what news has been uploaded. But what I want to point out here is that he's updated the Coco Games collection for the SDC as well as the Drive Pack. It's the latest games from the archive. Now, I thought this was a complete set of all the games and I took a closer look at it. It's not. So I'm not sure exactly what the criteria was for getting onto this. But it does include a lot of the stuff that's been uploaded in the last month or two. And this is different because the normal ones in the archive have one game per disk image. So basically, if you want, you know, buzzard bait, you get buzzard bait. And Nick, that uh, legal one, we've got permission to distribute, so I can mention that. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> so this one here, he's actually got like, you know, five to 20 games per disk image. And there's 83 disk images in this collection. So it's a ton of the games. I, I didn't, you know, figure out the exact count. And it does have some of the newer ones that have just been uploaded recently. So it's, it's a pretty good collection. I, I would like to see, because he's done these full SDC updates before where it's like the entire Coco library, every single thing on the archive on one zip file you download and it has everything. But those are all the single disc ones. So for those who have smaller SD cards or actually want to transfer these to real discs and not have to you know manually copy stuff to not waste room. It'd be nice to get a collection like this for the entire games library. Plus, it's just the game. So if that's all you're interested in, you don't have to get all the other stuff, like all the word processors and terminal programs and operating systems and everything else. But if you want to get some of the latest games without having to hunt them all down one at a time, grab it. He's got a text file in there that tells you exactly what disk image number, because they're numbered, you know, disk 0, 1 to 83, and it'll tell you exactly which one, which disks contain what games. So you can find them pretty quick just by doing a search in a text editor. 
our own Stevie, I think this was last Sunday, if I remember correctly, um, finally decided to play uh, Nick's game. And as, as Nick and I predicted, he was horrible at it, but he got better. Um, and then once again, it's because he didn't read directions. So a lot of us in the chat were throwing you know, suggestions. I think Nick uh, Marentes, I think you joined the call and kind of gave him some tips and pointers and rules and stuff too, didn't you? Nick Marentes fall asleep already? <laughs> I tried giving him some uh, pointers and he's like, nah, that's like reading the manual. Yeah, that's typical, Stevie. <laughs> On a veggie might break. <laughs> anyway, he did, he, did, he did a lot better as it went on. He kind of got into the game a bit too because at the beginning he was almost ready to quit. But he decided to extend it out because he wanted to do a Coco Live marathon. So he actually did some other games too. He did, could, and some of them he just took a brief look at and kind of went, nah, I'm not in the mood for that. So I wanted to mention a few of them here that he did. Um, so he did uh, Buzzard Bait because that was the challenge game. He did he submit a score. a score officially, Nick? Yes, he did. He did. Okay. And then he did a brief preview of Jupiter Patrol. And then he did Legend Quest, which is one actually I hadn't seen before either. I'd heard of it, but I'd, n- I'd never seen it. Mazeland, which is one of the uh, tape-based magazine games we were just talking about earlier uh, by Andrew Perkursky, who's like proficient. I mean, he put out a game nearly every month for both Chromaset and TND. So he was just cranking out the games. And he had some really good original ones and some really good sound routines. He had some pretty amazing sound effects. He also did Cuthbert Goes Walkabout, which is a clone of the arcade Amadar. And then he did one at the end very briefly, and I don't remember what it was. Oh, Shenanigans. They just did a brief preview of Shenanigans. So if you want to catch some you know, hot gaming action... Uh, from Steve and watch him get frustrated. It's a, it's a perfect video to show you that. It's great if you want to see level one of all these games. <laughs> well, actually, he got better. Like I said, at uh, at Pipes, he actually got up to level, I don't know what he got up to, about five or six, I think, later on. So he actually was starting to get the hang of it. Next up, and this is a new channel that I have not seen before uh, for making hardware uh, for the Dragon. And uh, he, this is a demonstration video of Dragon UI Tape, which is a Max Duino firmware for hardware solution uh, for the Dragon 32, which lets you SD card adapters. But because disk drives weren't that popular, this actually works on cassette images. You put all your cassette files onto the SD card, and then you load them off on here. Now, <clears throat> he's already sold out, I think, if I remember correctly. He had a, a bunch of them for sale, or, you know, it's basically, it's, it's kind of like Ed Snyder. He's, he's kind of in, you know, the European version of Ed Snyder for that kind of thing where he makes, you know, something super popular and they just sell it in like a day and then you have to wait till he gets another batch. The video's not too long. I did want to show this because it's kind of an interesting take on the SD card. It's a bit uh, more advanced in some ways than the SDC. So I'll, I'll let this play through and um, get your feedback on the other side. You guys can hear that, right? Yep. Yes. Hello, everybody. This is just a quick video to show you how to load up games on a Dragon 32 loud enough for a loud. SD card. Now this is my latest device, it's called the Dragon Wii Tape. It's based on the Max Duino firmware. God bless Raphael, the guy who develops Max, Max Duino because, I mean, he's knocking out a new version of that firmware every month with some new feature and new supported retro computer. So thank you, Raphael, for continuing the support. Um, the idea is that you put a micro SD card in this device with your favourite game on there with uh, all games. Uh, you can typically fit thousands of games on one micro SD card. The file format uh, for Dragon 32 is .cas, so you need the game in .cas CAS format. So uh, you find the game you want to load, and in our case it's going to be 
chucky egg. You put the uh, Dragon 32 into load mode. The screen's up in the upper right corner, and it's pretty small. You press play, and then it loads chucky egg. So it's going to take a few minutes to load, and what we'll do is I'll pause the video and come back when we're near the end. Okay, we're very close to the end of the game being loaded. Oh, there you go. And you can see Chucky so Eggs running in the monitor up uh, in the upper right corner. Chucky Eggs loaded. Let me just mute the volume. Um, I hope you like the device. Uh, I actually got quite a close colour match with the plastic as well. I've been looking for ages for beige plastic because I have other devices that um, I usually spray beige, right? Yeah, so I'm really chuffed that I've got a beige plastic now. Anyway, um, if you like this device and want to find out more about it and maybe others, then just head over to www.youmakerobots.com. Thank you for watching. So I thought that was a pretty cool device. It has a little screen on it so you can see like, you know, where it is and loading the tape. You have a percentage indicator, so it tells you how long you got left to wait. Um, it's Arduino-based. Um, he does have it for sale, but he's, like I mentioned before, he's already sold out. So, And here's his little web page with just some information on it here. But what, what did you guys think of that as far as a, a different type of an SD card solution? I wonder how it works with those Disney games that have the cassette and audio tracks mixed together. Aaron, I think, if I remember correctly, I think he does support that in X-War. And I'm assuming this would work the same way. But, uh, Karen, if you're still in the chat there and if you've had any experience with this, uh, if you want to let us know, I'm not really sure. Right. So does it have a remote jack to support the motor-on, motor-off thing that they use? Yeah, because looking at that picture here, it looks like he's got two cables plugged, which would be a read and write. I don't know. Does he have the remote? Let me back this up here a bit. Doesn't look like it. Does the dragon have that? I would imagine it does. His imagine. cable has three outs. Okay. Well, I... but only two of them are plugged in. Yeah, the only one looks like USB or something, or, or power maybe. Well, no, but if you look at the cable coming up from the left-hand side, there are three outputs from the cassette cable. And oh, yeah, it looks like the other one's kind of looping device. around or something. Oh, maybe that's and the other thing. one is just kind of droop off the back, so maybe it doesn't. Okay, 8-Bits in the basement saying, I don't think it does. It has a remote jack, it has a cassette out jack, and a power. I think he means read jack and out jack. Because you need the earphone to read programs in, you need the microphone to write programs out. And then remote was to, you know, control the motor on-off commands. But if yeah, if Sixy, if you're still uh, in the chat there, if you want to just uh, let us know, because I'm sure you've played with this a bit too, or 8-Bits in the basement, I mean, if you've played with it a bit too. 8-Bits says he built one about a year ago. So does it have the remote jack where you can actually do the motor on-off commands to control it for... Like Jason mentioned, or whoever it was, that uh, you if you have a game that's a mixed, actually I think it was Alan, uh, a mixed uh, bit of audio that you play in between scenes or something that the computer would control when it plays. Like some of the reading books, like on the Coco that Tandy sold did that too. It'd be interesting to know. Oh, it does have the remote jack. Cool. Then theoretically, yeah, that should work. You should be able to have the cast file immediately followed by a WAV file or something as long as the... Uh, 
the OS supports the one that's built into the Arduino that's kind of you know handling it allows the playing of a WAV file or whatever as as little sound data. Then it should be able to pump it in with a audio on motor on. Yeah, second confirmation that it has the motor on off and relay. So yeah, it does it does support all three jacks by sounds of it. Oh, then that would be a win for those games. Two jacks. It has the motor on, off, and the out. It does not support recording. Oh, really? That other gray cable then is just the remote? So you can't save to it? Right. The, the, the gray cable, the, the larger gray cable would be the one that you would use for saving. So there you go. Okay, I'm surprised they don't support saving. I thought that would have been a, a given. Um, actually, I've looked at some of these Arduino tape things because I was thinking about some of that stuff, and unfortunately, all the firmware only supports playing the CAS files. It doesn't support recording, unfortunately. That would be a nice feature. No, yeah, you just write it to the SD card, so... Yeah, but I was thinking for like save states for games, like some of the adventure games used to have a save state. You would have to, you couldn't yeah, do it on here. You couldn't save your dra- Daggerath save on there. Hopefully, hopefully they add that feature because I think it would be useful, especially people that will actually want to do development on the Dragon. Um, and they had a real keyboard, so it's a bit easier than it would be on the you know the original F board Cocos with the chiclet. But anyway, it's a pretty interesting solution uh, for doing the cast files and stuff, and it. Uh, has a nice LED screen that kind of shows you exactly what's going on. That part I do like. Almost wish the uh, SDC but had that. Can you get the experience? I mean, you're going to wait for the tape. It's just not putting a tape in it. You put an SD card in it. Yeah, with a ton of tape files, and you just do uh, you know use those up and down arrows on these that he's got on there to go through and figure out which one you want to load. And and it's pretty cool. And uh, 8 Bits in Basement said, it works for me on everything but my Kogu 2. I wonder why it doesn't work on a Kogu 2. That's kind of odd. Anyway, for the people in the UK that actually have these, or in, in Europe in general, if they want to you know, send us an email with maybe some more details, I'd love to get some more details on this, because it's an interesting project that we don't have an equivalent of here. Next up, but this was a bit of a surprise. Matchy, whom... You know, was pretty active in the Coca community and Discord and stuff here. You know, between a, two years ago and a year ago, and actually produced some pretty cool semi graphics demos and semi graphics games. And then he kind of disappeared for a while. Uh, has come back and he rejoined uh, the Color Computer Group on Facebook, and he actually set up an itch.io for his uh, Doodle Jump game, which is actually a pretty cool port of I think it's an Android game or something, where you have to fly up the levels and you pick up rocket packs and you have to land on the uh, platforms. If you miss, you fall off the screen and die type thing. So it's pretty cool. And it's one of those ones where he's not charging a specific amount for it. You can contribute money to him if you want. Um, I think he deserves it because he's done a lot of work on this. And uh, I know he had some personal problems that probably was related to why he kind of disappeared from the community for a while. So, you know, have a little bit of support from him I think would go a long way. So I definitely encourage it. This game we actually did show about a year ago, too. And it's a, it's a pretty cool little game. And it supports Coco S, uh, the Coco PSG. Oh, does it? I didn't know that. Yeah, um, I, I went ahead and grabbed that this morning, threw him some money for support. And uh, one of the reasons was because it says oh, yeah, it does, supports right. Coco PSG. And uh, I think that's kind of cool. I'm glad to see that. Yeah, so definitely. I, yeah, I, I missed that when I took a quick look at it this morning here that it supports Coco PSG. So it has like full music soundtrack playing in the background. Was it used for sound effects or both? 
I haven't got the Coco PSG set up again yet to check. Okay. <laughs> just just grabbed it a little while ago. Okay. But yeah, definitely, uh, we want to recommend that people, for the people that are asking for you know money, especially if it's like, this is kind of the modern day version of shareware, where you get to contribute what you want. But we definitely want to encourage people to do that, because it encourages the developers to keep producing stuff. We Absolutely. can't all be Nixon and afford you know, Lamborghinis and Ferraris and stuff. So, so. We all can't write pipes. What, what's yeah. under the more information tab? Uh, let me take a look. I bet it's additional information. Ah, uh, that's all. Yep. Yeah. It's out yeah. there. But he was demoing, demoing some other, you know, game engines. He was doing like a 3D pole position thing where he had, I think, palm trees and stuff flying by in 3D and stuff. Like he's got some really good ideas and he's done some excellent work with semi-graphics that Eric and some others have been playing with and, and, and Nick as well, obviously with Rally SG and Pipes. So yeah, def- definitely throw him some money and get a copy of the game if you if you can because it's uh, it's a pretty good one. And with PSG support, I actually want to hear what that sounds like. So Alan, maybe if you want to do a demo of it next week and kind of show us because I don't have a PSG here to demo it with. And just just for everybody uh, out there, what is a what is a Coco PSG again? It's an add-on card that includes um, flash RAM, flash ROM digital joystick ports and the upgraded version or a later generation version of the same kind of sound chip that's in the speech sound pack. So the speech sound pack has an AY38910 sound chip in it. And later on, Yamaha made a version that has a higher resolution counters called the YM2149 or software controlled sound generator. And that's what's in the Coco PSG. So it programs the same as the sound chip register for register in uh, the speech sound cartridge, but you have the game ports are wired up and they do support Sega game pads as well as uh, so, some of the other more extended digital joystick features that are out there. Oh yeah. It's a, it's a great little device. If you plug it into a Coco one or two, you essentially have 512K of RAM, 512K of flash ROM, joystick ports, and a sound device in the cartridge slot. You pair that with a Coco VGA, and you've got a whole lot of added game capability on a Coco 1 or 2. And the Coco PSG is sold by who? It's the Zipsta. It's just wanted to make sure people knew that so they know where to go find it. Zipster's I own. I, I, I think he even has still has it. some up. Has he? Okay. Go ahead, Nick. What was the other thing you were saying? I don't know if he still has them available. That's all. It's part of his rotation through his hardware, I think. He's been really busy with that new uh, MC10 board, which went on sale and sold out. He made 20 of them that were sold out in like three days. That's the one with the uh, extended RAM, the brand new MCX Basic version 3, flash RAM. Um, supporting all kinds of formats, the SD card reader and everything else too. So, I mean, he's, he's busy. He's been taking orders for keyboards again. I know some people were wondering about the Nitrous 9 laid out keyboard, so he's actually going to burn some keycaps for that because that's a special order. So, um, actually, was it Alan? Was it you that was actually asking for one of those? Yeah. <laughs> and then other people were jumping in talking about their uh, impending house purchases, putting off their Cocomex. So what I had suggested was that maybe... Um, we kind of pool together a whole bunch of different people that might be interested in the uh, <clears throat> the OS9 caps. And then, you know, sometime earlier, mid next year, <clears throat> have that done up as a special run. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite happy with mine. I got two of them. Um, 
for both my Cocos. I have one, one still with Bill I have to pick up now that the Boomerang E2 is working again. Uh, there was actually unrelated problems, uh, not nothing to do with the Boomerang, but that machine went back to Bill for fixing. I just have to get down there to pick it up, and then I've got one with my uh, Gimme X one as well, too. So, And it's definitely handy because even I forget some of the more obscure you know, control key combinations that you know, do some bizarre text character type thing. Right. Like a reverse tilde or something like that, which even needs special fonts even to see it properly, but uh, it's quite handy. And David Ladd posted a link to uh, where you can find the PSG on uh, the uh, YouTube chat and should be showing up in the main chat as well. Be interesting to see if Matchy extends Jumpy to support some of the other sound cards as well. Yeah, like Paul Bard was mentioning, you know, he wouldn't mind seeing some software for the Symphony 12. Uh, what, what's the new one called? The clone? Bill Harmonic 12. Bill Harmonic 12, yeah, which yeah, has got a build mine four of the one. original sound things in there. I think eight yep. on each cha- each on each side, so you can do eight channel stereo, four noise channels, and 12 voice channels total. Something like that, yep. And yes, it is register for register that same AY chip. Yeah, so you literally, you could you if you have one of those cards, you can program it as a simple, you know, sound speech pack sound card, uh, just with a single chip type thing. But you can add layers on it and stereo and everything else too. So, and now for the last story for the game section here, Antonio, 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 yeah, Antonio uh, Carlos. Jimenez Eli, Eli or Eli? I'm not even sure how to pronounce the last name. But uh, he's been offering these SD pack for SD cards, these little custom labels that you can do for games. Now, that's kind of overkill because most SD cards are huge. You can fit the entire Cocoa library on it. So having a, a single label for a single game means you must, you must really like that game. Um, but he's actually got a few of them up here now where he's duplicated some of the labels. And it's third party as well as Radishek ones. So I'll just kind of go through the few he has on here. But these would be pretty cool They're to actually so put in SD cool. Yeah. Now, this is really good for those who want to sell new games on SD cards, which a few people have done, like Timberman and a few others, too, have been sold that way, and they've gotten custom labels made. And since SD cards are so cheap now for the lower capacity ones, lower, you know, by modern PC standards, they're huge by Cocoa standards, but you can you can sell the game, and the labels are pretty cheap, and he actually makes all these, so all you have to do is send him the artwork, and he'll be able to scale it down and actually get you some labels made. He's got a good mix here, third-party, old stuff modern stuff, Radio Shack stuff. No no uh, TDP 100, huh? I'm sure you could if you sent him the artwork for the TDP 11. Yeah, I'm sure you would. And that is it for the game on news. Okay. Hold on. Hold on a sec. So, Curtis, uh, I did find the reviews. For okay, Buzzard. yeah. Lay it, lay it on us. So what did the other magazines think of Buzzard Bait? Well, Color Computer uh, Magazine liked it, and he only got to level six, but he liked the game a lot. And uh, Hot Coco broke it down into uh, scores, gave it seven for setup, six for construction quality. I don't know what that means, if that's the packaging or whatever. Seven for performance and eight for documentation and ease of use. So I got sevens and eights, which I think is a little low, but that's okay. But they, I mean, they liked it though. They both, they're both positive reviews. So, and that's the introduction to our "Why You Are Wrong" segment. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I just find it fascinating they had an ease of use category. I, I forgot about that. Yeah, I'll have to send in uh, ease of use uh, beta six to see what they think. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's going to come back undeliverable. 
Yeah, probably. So the updated I mean, Wade, list is definitely no longer among us. So the updated score list is posted on the Discord, including Sloopy's score. I'm very against apologies, Sloopy. So, uh, but if you go see it, look at a Discord channel, you'll see the updated uh, updated list of scores. Yeah, I yeah. saw it. It's all good. I'm just here for the games. Well, the funny thing is, I remember you said you uh, put po- you posted a score at double speed. So I'm not sure how I saw that post, but didn't see the score original score. So anyway. Well, I think well, it's a good it's happens. good it's a good indicator too that Nick that you lose track of it because you're getting so many score submissions that you do miss them on occasion. Like if we have a game that doesn't take off as bad or as good, yeah, I should say, uh, where there's only 20 submissions, you generally keep them all there. But when you're getting a you know a whole bunch of people, and they're giving updated scores too. Yeah, it's not like you just have 28 fast. scores. You might yeah. have four from one player as he gets better. So, well, no, so, it's because it was double speed. It went by too fast, and he didn't see it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, did you play with the Blueberry Lava version is what I, my question was. All right, so go ahead, Mark. Sorry, I didn't mean to step on you there, but I'm, I'm done. Okay, shall we do a commercial and go into regular news? Sure. Yeah. Woo-hoo. Here's a hi-fi bargain from your nearby Radio Shack store. Save $100 on our exclusive realistic 77 AM FM stereo receiver. Only $159.95 during the sale. With audio component features like FM muting, push-button tape monitor, main remote speaker switching, in a genuine walnut veneer case. The ideal control center for your new music system. The sale-priced Realistic 77 receiver. Only at Radio Shack. Attend it, company. Tired of your color computer art input device being low-res? Joey has you covered again. Switch between three joysticks or mice. Select the left or right port on your Coco. No more swapping joystick ports. Switch between standard and high resolution mode. Supports the Tandy and the Max high resolution mode. Pre-order yours today at CocoMan.biz. The music is back. I don't need that report tomorrow. That's great, JT. I need it tonight. Oh, JT. Fletcher Lack saved over 300 clams, you dig? When she got her a Model 100 from Radio Shack, like a good little consumer. It's like... A word processor, a phone directory and dialer. You dig, man? It even, like, you know, can groove with your office computer. Fletcher? Fletcher. You'll go far, Fletcher. You'll go far. 
ESP 8266-01 RS232 TTL Wi-Fi network, 4-pin DIN, FitBanger, DB9, PC, IP, DriveWire, DriveWire, DriveWire. Oh, I'm much happier breaking stuff. Hello, I am the speech and sound pack, and you are listening to Colcol Talk. From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on News with El Curtis Boyle. And now a Muppet News Flash. And we're back. Welcome back. I've got my Mark Overhoser hat on so I can uh, post the news links to chat. I'm ready. Okay. So basically, I'll just see if this uh, fixed itself here. Uh, hello, Mr. Kirk. Ah, there. Yeah, got it. Yeah, that stupid USB cable and my mic is acting up again. Okay, so let's share this screen here. My apologies for the delay. Okay, you guys seeing that? Yep. yep. Okay, Nick Morandis, I'll get your help on this a little bit here, because you're probably Uh-oh. more familiar with this project than I am. <clears throat> so Sheldon McDonald continues to work on his uh, DSK and development system for cross-developing from Windows to the Coco, and he's actually now working on a game using this project, and he's actually working on a semi-graphics tile editor for it as well. Uh, he's got some screenshots out a little bit later, but uh, Nick, since you're, you've been kind of be- keeping in contact with him as he does this project, what all has he got going? What all has he got planned? I ha- don't know what his latest plans are. I haven't been keeping up of late, but I think, yeah, from what I've read, is uh, what you said, he has a, a semi-graphics editor in there now. <clears throat> So that's all I know. <laughs> well, you were hardly useful for that segment. Yeah, I was. <laughs> <laughs> Doing your part. That's it. You get what you paid for. <clears throat> so here he's, he's basically he's using ILW ASM, if I understand, to compile something and immediately sends it to VCC so we can run and test it. Is that correct? It looks it. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. <laughs> that's that's that uh, that's that extra value added to your content right there. There you go. <laughs> and that one's for added. free. <laughs> yeah. So this is a part of a semi-graphics editor. I, remember, I did make a note that he had put a screenshot of it in action in the comments here. So this is kind of what it looks like. So you got your basic nine colors on the left. Uh, it looks like he's not supporting the alternate color set where you can kind of sneak in some extra colors, but on a coarser uh, pixel level, you can only do 32 by 16 there. But uh, since so many people are doing semi-graphics games, Matchy and Nick's done a couple, and a few other people have been experimenting with that mode too, this will be handy. Plus, there's an online uh, semi-graphics editor too, isn't there? Or is it only for semi-graphics 24? Not sure. Because I think Simon and a few others have No, SG-Edit Remix is for SG-4. Oh, it's only for SG-4? Okay. So it doesn't do 8 or 12 or... Uh, They've they've talked about doing the the other semi-graphics modes, but I haven't checked in to see if they've actually added them. Okay. It'd be nice if we get one editor somewhere, especially if it's online, so anybody can use it to design stuff. That will work when you just select it, which mode you want, and then you can pick. Because some people might want to do a game that really requires speed, so they might have to use a lower 
semi-graphics mode so there's not so much memory to move around. And others may want to do something that doesn't need the speed as much but want the higher, you know, full 192 res vertically. So it'll be interesting to see what people can do with it. Um, that screen there is uh, semi-graphics 8, by the way. Look at the top left. It says semi-8 Coco. So it looks like it's semi-8 only then, that particular one. So far. Yeah, that's what it said in the comments. Just a uh, tile editor for just semi-8 mode. Ah, okay. Eight's yeah, we need somebody to, to finish up one of these uh, semi-graphics editor projects to actually do it. Um, I mean, even back in the Coco's Haiti, there was uh, SG Edit 24, and I think Robert Galt made one too, if I remember correctly, in the 90s that uh, were semi-graphics editors, but usually for the really high modes, because that's what people wanted to see back then. I sort of vaguely remember an SG animation kind of program from somewhere yeah that's the sg edit 24 i think and it was uh was it sugar software made it i can't remember now but yeah there was one that they had a picture of the enterprise they always used it as a demo <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. next up uh dave shut off the author of star spores which was sold by spectral associates and actually just joined our discord server in the last couple of weeks um has now made available a free mc10 alice core for the mister so for those that you have the mister, I know Frodo, who's, I don't think he's in our chat today. I think he was busy this week. Um, like he plays all of his Cocoa stuff on there using Roger Taylor's Cocoa 3 one, which Roger charges for. Most Mr. Projects are free. Um, but now uh, Dave's actually got the uh, full MC-10 Alice up there. Um, so that's a free one you can download if you want to emulate the MC-10. And then you can enjoy the bazillions of Jim Gary games that have been ported over. And it's like a subscription service with Jim because you get a new couple games every week, just about... Okay, next up, uh, Rutherford LeBlanc uh, on Facebook mentioned a trick you can do on the Cocoa SDC where you can specify a virtual drive number as part of a larger DisBasic VHD in one command. Like I've always done that separately. And you can actually do like drive zero comma and then the name of your hard drive image comma the floppy image within that hard drive image because those allow you a virtual 256 disks. So you can actually do it all in one shot with it, rather than having to do it two separate commands. And I did take a quick look. I didn't get a chance to look at it too closely. A quick look of even the revised manual that Tim Linder did where he actually added like the new stream commands and stuff that had been added onto the SDC since the original documentation from 2009. And, and I think if I remember, Tim just released that this summer. And I don't think this is mentioned on there. Now, that may be because he's not doing anything that's HTB DOS specific in the manual because there's a few different versions of discs and basic derivatives you can get on there. But it's actually a nice little trick to use and, and one I was not aware of. I don't know if maybe some of the other people here and I'm just dense. But it saves oh, you some typing. That's always good. Next up here, Larry Reeves did a little, uh, you know, history of uh, running a BBS back in the day of the Coco, you know, from the Coco one days from the early 80s which was kind of an interesting read. And then uh, I think, Ron DeVoe, I think you'd mentioned that you wouldn't mind hearing some other stories along that line because there was quite a few of us that ran BBSs on the Coco. I ran one from 83 till 91 myself. And I mean, we had the rib system, which hooked up to FidoNet by Ron Byler, Charles West, and Bill Noble contributed a little bit to it as well. Um, Scott, I'm, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his name right, Creepentrog, I believe. The guy who ran STG software, he actually had the STG net, which was its own private network, kind of like a FidoNet. Um, so there's a lot of stuff. And, we, of course, we had a lot of really good terminal programs back in the Cocoa 1 and 2 days, and then later on with, you know, Twilight Terminal and NetMate and the ultimate permits that are on the Cocoa 3. So the Cocoa has always been pretty popular for doing BBSing with. 
and uh, both hosting and logging in. Uh, how many people on the panel here were actually active in the Coco BBS scene back in the day? I was. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did some. I've used it a lot. Ribs. We had a guy that hooked up uh, um, CD ROMs. Not on Coco? Yeah. Okay. My choices were to call long distance to Chicago for Sand V or Guys Mills, Wisconsin. But was, I v, was that on the STG network, network uh, Rick? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, because I got mail. Yeah, because SDGNet was that thing that Scott had set up, and he had, I don't know, about a dozen nodes, I think, at one point, scattered around. So, yeah, call Chicago long distance every day. Get my mail. <laughs> yeah, that was one thing about the Vitonet. They, we, everybody did their mail exchanges after 2 in the morning local time to get the, the phone rates way down. We got lucky where I am. In Saskatchewan, one of the people that uh, ran one of the main nodes in Regina, our cap city in the province, Worked for Sastel, our local phone company. So he managed to get an arrangement with them to do all that stuff for free. So he called all the other main nodes. We'd have all the local ones, like all the FidoNet BBSs in Saskatoon would all send it to one particular BBS. And then he'd pick it up from Regina at two in the morning. But he got to do it all for free. He didn't have to pay long distance charges because he worked for Sastel. That was cool. I'm hearing some audio in the background. Exhausted. I'm not. Uh, uh, yeah, I hear some Nick. news. I think it's coming from Nick Morantes. Yeah, good to see you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it was. Okay. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so in Houston, the amateur radio community uh, was fairly early into the BBS thing, and so they would <clears throat> they were the soldering iron jockeys that would put together early modems before a lot of the um, commercial options became available because originally the modems that were available through Radio Shack and stuff were still reasonably expensive and yeah. the phone company was reasonably obnoxious about letting you use them. So yeah, that's right. the ham the ham radio guys just went ahead and said, we're doing our own thing anyway. And uh, a lot of the early BBS software that I saw in Houston tended to be shipped around by the amateur radio guys. They made you pay for it. And by pay for it, you had to actually solder together your modem with them watching before they would give you their BBS software. So you had to kind of <laughs> earn your way into it. But uh, one of the things that I remember from those is a lot of the guys had a patch where they would use the um, Black Beauty joystick for their whether they could be paged or not. So when you called their board, you could you know try to page them. And it would just check the joystick. If it was to the left, they're out. They're not going to take the call. But if it was to the right, it would go ahead and let the page go through, and it would beep on the on the Coco so that they could actually go over and start typing back. Built this cool. up chat thing. I never heard of doing a joystick for that. I just had a key sequence on my BBS that I just hit it. You know, I'm not here. I am here. Yeah, it was just easy to do because you just flip the stick from one side to the other as you walked in and out of the room. Right. Mechanical feedback. You could see. Am I in yeah, or out? Actually, you can take a glance, see if it's on or off. That's actually, I, I never thought of that. That's a good idea. Not that I plan on running a BBS again now, but. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I did that for like eight years. That's, um, I'm good. Oh, why not, Curtis? Come on. You want to enjoy the, the fun of BBSing sysop, right? 
it, it was fun back in the day. It, it honestly was. I mean, this was way before the internet got out there type thing, way before Gopher and all that stuff got popular. So yeah, was, one of my uh, other favorite memories is the DCM3. So yeah. <clears throat> it was a d- direct connect 300 baud modem. Um, so there was no AT commands or any of that fun stuff. You just had an answer and originate switch and a push yeah. connect button. And it was awesome because your phone would ring, you pick it up, and it'd be a telemarketer. And you could just put the phone down and hit the connect button and, and just leave it and just burn. Because <laughs> those things, I don't think they were actually legal uh, volume levels, according to the FCC, because that stuff right. hadn't really been standardized yet. So to get past the noisy phone system, it put a thousand decibels worth of signal into the line or something. When you crank that button down, you could hear it across the room still coming out of the handset of the phone. I want that yeah. app on my cell phone. Yeah, yeah, I want it for my cell phone too. But uh, that's just, I, I love that because it was, you'd always call somebody, okay, man, put your board on, you hear which tone they had, answer, originate. You flip your switch, hit the button. But that, those telemarketers, that button became so useful for getting rid of them. Yes. And in the early switch phone days, the phone line didn't hang up until both sides let go. So you could actually hijack someone's phone for a while. If they were an annoying telemarketer, you just leave the button down and go get dinner and you come back. And they couldn't hang up for like half an hour. Yeah. We did that too. Ah, the good old days. Yeah. I actually had a DCM three used it on my Atari. Yeah. I had the acoustic coupler first. We had to plug in the caps of the headset. And then after that, I got a JCAT 300 baud, which is a little tiny 300 baud modem that was super small and it was pretty cheap. Auto answer was, that was a major reason I bought it was auto answer for the BBS I was running. So, cause I got kind of tired of hit and connect manually. Yeah, JCAT sold a lot of those or Novation sold a lot of those JCATs for that yeah. auto answer. I specifically, I specifically bought a 2400 modem that had a switch to go to 300 because CompuServe charged much less in conference for 300 baud. And 2400 baud, and that was sufficient. <laughs> yeah, when I started, 300 baud was just about it because the 1200 baud haze had just started to come out, and those were like seven, eight hundred dollars or something like that. It was just insane. And then, you know, sys prices were, I don't know, five bucks for 300 baud and 15 bucks for 2400 baud. So it was cheaper for you guys because we we had the CIS their own charge, which I think at the time was nine dollars Canadian an hour, oh, and then man. we had to go through Telepack, which is another ten dollars an hour to even get there. So it was nineteen dollars an hour. So I usually just cheated, and I probably shouldn't admit this in public, but I used to hack other people's credit card numbers to sign up and temporarily use CompuServe to download everything from the Cocoa form I could until they caught me and then you know dis- disabled the account. Yeah, here they had Sprint. Or here Sys had their own network, but then you had SprintNet and TimeNet. And uh, it was fun to play the numbers game between all of those. Yeah. And then later on, you know, Delphi got popular and Genie and there was a few others. I can't remember off the top of my head. And then eventually well, Del- AOL once the web got popular. Delphi, I had to go through SprintNet or TimeNet to get to them. I forget the other name for SprintNet. But uh, yeah, it was and we're the good old days. <laughs> right, Sonny? <laughs> yeah, uh, buying a 14.4 modem was fun because it was, like, so fast. And it, and um, and then later, you know, it would keep going up, and we kept thinking, oh, geez, 
No, in about 15 years from now, we'll be flying. It, but it always it just topped out at 56K, and that was it, huh? That's all well, the phone was, lines could handle. Yeah, that's all the phone lines can handle. Yeah, the 56 special tricks. Except, uh, wasn't there dual phone lines you could hook up? That was ISDN, yeah. 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 You could you could do it. I did this back in the day. I had two phone lines, and I would I would use two modems, and then there was a way at my ISP they had it set up to where they would tie those two connections together on their end. Yeah, but then you had to pay for two phone lines. Well, the nice thing, yeah. Well, yeah, that was that was the one thing. Nice things. I I worked at the ISP at the time, so I didn't have to. That was something you had to pay extra for otherwise. I mean, I remember because I used three hundred baud from eighty two to. I think 84 or 85 when I got an Avitex 1200 finally. And the jump from 300 to 1200 was like night and day. Oh, yeah. Yep. Interesting ISDN fact. Um, my previous employer used ISDN modem so we could log in from home back before things got good. And uh, one of the people there accidentally set their modem to reestablish the connection every two minutes and time out after two minutes. Well, <laughs> ISDN charged by the call. And so, uh, yeah, he accumulated several thousand dollars of phone fees in a day <laughs> on his ISDN modem. So, yeah. Yeah, they, those were not cheap. We had them available here, too. And uh, we, we bypassed that at work. We actually waited until we could get, uh, I think it was ADSL or DSL or something we had eventually got. And I yeah, my had, first uh, modem. <clears throat> go ahead. My, my first modem was the uh, Radio Shack Direct Connect 300 baud modem from the modem pack and, and uh, I had the hack in it. So that way I could use, uh, switch the address to the deluxe RS two thirty two pack address. Cause some of the software at that time only used the RS two. Yeah. It wouldn't, wouldn't work with the modem pack. That's right. So, um, and then I think my first modem after that was 1200 baud zoom. And then after that, all of my later modems were all U.S. robotics. That's pretty similar to me. I went from JCAT to an Avitex 1200 because it was cheap. It was a cheap 1200. It was semi-haze compatible. I got a Zoom 2400 after that. And then a Zoom 96. And then I went to USR from 14.4 up. Did you, guys, did you guys ever um, buy a haze modem? After, no, those were too expensive. I know, but I'm saying after, you when you were able to get them really cheap just to have one, <laughs> like uh, I've got a JT Fax, which is tons of money nowadays. Has a built-in twenty-four hundred baud haze on top. But I wanted. Yeah, to I always got haze compatible because haze, even when the prices dropped, were still twice as much as everybody yeah. else. USR was, I think, the main the mainstream one most people got. But yeah, I had a USR. And I was just excited when I found that the my I think it was a TimeNet number I used for Delphi had a 9600 connection. I was that that was that was like the best thing ever at the time. Uh, my first the, commercial product was the, the Radio Shack DC modem pack. You could soft the modem and stick on a couple of level converters and make it into an RS232 port. So I sold a bunch of them when Radio Shack sold them out at 9.99. I was making serial ports out of them. Which still yeah, you can convert them to run up to nineteen two then, yeah, <laughs> right. And yeah, you just put a couple of you sawed the modem off literally with a hacksaw, and put a couple <laughs> of level converted chips in the box and an RS two thirty two plug on the end. So you don't mm. have any left to show? Uh, no, I sold all of those things. 
Yeah, that would have been a good seller because you would have been selling them a lot cheaper than the R three two packs were at the time. Well, yeah, I was getting forty bucks for them, and I was buying them for ten and selling them for forty, and it took me thirty minutes to convert them. So, and then that led to the Mini two thirty two and the Fast two thirty two and blah blah blah. But anyway, that's fun. The R two old three hundred baud. I thought the haze modems were really cool because they had that plexiglass plate in the front, and all the lights were behind it. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. We, we did have a haze at work, but I did the, the prices never came down enough to match USR or any of the other people, so I just never bought one myself. Yeah, US Robotics. Uh, the thing I liked about most of their modems is that they were easy to upgrade the firmware. So um, I think my twenty eight point eight, I was able to upgrade to thirty three point six, and then upgrade it to fifty six k. Yeah, I remember doing that too. Actually, this twenty-eight eight, I upgraded to thirty-three-six, and then fifty-six K two. That's true. So scopes aren't the only thing that play that game, eh? Nope. Anyway, we can wax nostalgic about that a bit later. Um, maybe when uh, Ron starts talking about some of the stuff he's been doing with WeFax mm-hmm. lately. All right, next story here. Uh, This is from Jerry Stratton. We featured him on the show before, too. Uh, He did the RCheck Plus program, which is a a script. uh, I think it's written in Perl or Python. I can't remember now. But uh, basically, it's a script that goes through and duplicates what the old Rainbow Check program in Rainbow used to do, which back then was a little machine language program that ran in the background. And every so many lines of basic code you type in from the magazine, you would hit a, I think it was the up arrow key or something, it would give you a, a little checksum. And you could follow in the magazine because at these, you know, at this rate, at this line number, you're going to get this check number. And at this line number, you're going to get this check number. And you, it would tell you if you had any typing mistakes. So it would help you catch errors before you got, you know, the entire 32K program typed in. And then you have no idea where the problem is. And he's added some new features to it, which he kind of goes through on this little article here, including some improvements to the original one. So actually, it's more accurate now and will give you a better idea. It'll catch some common errors. Like if you've accidentally done like an uppercase versus lowercase, it'll check the checksum and say, oh, it's off by 32 because that's the ASCII difference between an upper and lowercase. And it'll give you a warning basically saying, likely you've typed in an uppercase versus a lowercase letter. So it helps you pinpoint what the problem is, not just the fact that you have one in the last block of code you typed. So I thought that was pretty cool as an upgrade. I mean, most of us try to find this stuff already pre-typed in on Rainbow on Disk or whatever. But for some of the other alternative magazines like Hot Cocoa, Color Computer Magazine, Color Computer News, et cetera, they aren't typed in. There is no disk versions of, of all of those yet up on the archives. So this is a way for anybody who does want to type in some of those old programs to make it a little bit easier to catch mistakes as you're typing them in. So I thought that was pretty cool. And it's a free download from his site. I think the Mac version he's got out now and it works on Unix Linux as well. Um, I'm not sure if he's got the Windows version out quite yet. Uh, next up, um, this is from uh, John Linville, and it's uh, kind of a congratulations to the Coke crew. They've actually completed the 150,000 download mark now um, for their entire run of the, the show. And that's that's good all the way around. I mean, we've gotten our numbers are going up now, too, and have been for a while. I think, like I, I've mentioned many times before, the Septandi event actually brought a lot of people back, back into the Coco or into the Coco for the first time, and, and they're sticking with it. So I think the numbers are, you know, increasing for for both shows as far as you know getting viewers and, and listeners, and that's good. As uh, you know, if we keep expanding the community, that's more, you know, that's more Ferraris Nick gets, and of course we all want that. <laughs> okay, next up here from Steve Bamford. 
who's done some game writing in his of his own. Um, he's mentioning here he wanted to do a coffee table book, so it kind of sounds like it's similar in, in in base concept to what Bruce Moore did with his coffee table book for the 40th anniversary of the Coco. Uh, the one difference here is that he wanted to do it for Dragon Software cover art, uh, probably mostly games, but probably some other stuff too. And he kind of had this long-term project and he just says, I don't have the time to do it. So he kind of has let everybody know in the Dragon group on Facebook that he would like somebody to pick this up and, and run with it and kind of you know, get going and he'll try to help as much as he can type thing. Um, so he's got some people already contacting him about, think it's a good idea. And then there's obviously scans of some of these on the Dra World of Dragon site. Um, and then, you know, some of the YouTubers here have obviously got quite a few of these cartridges, like the ones we just went through on the Game On segment. And um, that'd be kind of cool, I think, to see a coffee table book of all the various, you know, software covers and stuff, especially with the Dragon, because like I mentioned before, they did a lot more intricate artwork on most of their stuff. We had a few good ones here. Computer Shack and Mictron did some pretty good stuff, but a lot of them did pretty simple, you know, doggy bag, throwing a piece of Xerox paper in black and white type thing. Spectral was you know, famous for that. That's pretty well they gave you for the most part. So that'd be interesting to see. Next up in the MC10 group, Ed Snyder announced the initial release. We covered this last week because the, the project had been mentioned there. It's designed by Darren Atkinson. He's also the guy who did the Coco SDC. And Ed actually put it up for sale. So he made a first batch at 20 and they're already all sold out. Does that ever sound familiar coming from Ed? So um, I'm not sure when the next batch is going out. Um, but uh, for those with MC10s, obviously it's a pretty popular product. Uh, as we mentioned before, it, it gives you the SD card storage and includes a patch to basic MCX basic that not only allows the SD cards, you can load in cassette files, you can load in basic files directly. You don't even have to make a cassette version. You can load in arrays of data, which was a rather unique thing that the MC10 basic did, but it also supports if you do the hack on the inside of the MC10 or the Alice to give yourself 8k of RAM, including video. Cause that's one problem. The expansion port doesn't let you use the extra RAM for video. So you could never use PMO3 and PMO4. Um, he's already got schematics up on his site that you can get to actually fix that problem yourself. And the new basic supports that. So now you can do full PMO3 and PMO4 graphics on the MC10 and the Alice. So hopefully he'll get some more of those out there for people that want to buy them. Um, he's got some links in here with an introductory video for it. Um, he's got uh, the complete user guide that explains some, you know, some of the hardware and also the new basic. And uh, it was going for $65 plus shipping, including the case. And uh, once he gets them back on, I guess we'll do it. Did you guys uh, want to see the video of it, or sure, should, why uh, not? Leave it up as an, you know, for the user. Go ahead. Roll that footage. Here's the uh, MC10 uh, internal mod. Here's where it ghosts it. You can see it duplicates the screen, the top to the bottom there, because uh, it basically wraps the 4K back to the beginning and just redisplays it again if you're in PMO three or four. And then he uh, details the mod here. And now you, every pixel is individual. And he has a little quick demo here of that too. Now it's just the 8K mod. That's not part of the, the new hardware on its own, but it definitely supports all this. So let's go back here. Now, from what I was reading, if you do the 8K Hi guys. mod, the... this is just a short little. Sorry, go ahead, Jason. Now, if you do the 8K mod, doesn't that uh, cause an issue with the existing MCX128? Yeah, I think, well, yeah, but did he say that? I can't remember now. Yeah, I think he did. There was a yes. flicker problem. There's a patch, though, for the, the yeah. programmable logic that's in the MCX that can be updated, I guess. Not sure how, but that's something that you'd need to contact Ed for. 
Okay. It's on Darren's blog too. MCX Wares has a, a description of the MCX 128 part of it. Okay. So anyway, this, this is a semi-lengthy video. It's just under five minutes. I'll play the whole thing because I think if there's that much demand that he sold out 20 of them in three days, I think there's enough viewership here that would be interested in, in, in getting some more details on it. And so I'll just play the whole thing and then we'll go on to the next new segment after that. Video to introduce to you a new device from Darren Atkinson for the MC10 and Alice computers. It's a, an SD card interface for loading and saving files called the MCX32SD. So, units themselves, you know, they consist of a little board like this that plugs into the expansion port on your MC10. And just a quick overview here. You have on this side the SD card socket, you know, the connector, regulator circuit for 3.3 volts for the CPLD. You've got um, an MCU to handle the file system, uh, 32K RAM chip, and a flash chip, and a little associated circuitry, and that CPLD right there to provide the necessary logic to tie everything together. So Darren designed this and they work great. Uh, they allow you to load and save all you know, several different file types to the SD card, just a fat formatted um, card. And I designed these cases for it. No screws involved, they just snap together. And these units will all be coming in a case. There's a little LED at the top there. You have your SD card socket. And they just plug right into the back of the computer. And the SD card goes in there like that, picks up. Just clicks in. And you can get it back out that way. So, I'll show a little clip of the, these loading and loading some uh, programs in a moment here, but these are going to be the absolute best way to uh, load and store files on your MC10 and also to get them over to it from the computer. Um, let's move on to checking it out in action. So here goes just a quick shot of the um, MCX32SD in action. Got it hooked up to the television here. And turn on the uh, MC10 with the cartridge in there. And check it does add 32K of memory to the computer, or that's what's contained on board. That's the available amount that you'll get in BASIC. This is running MCX BASIC 3.0. If you do a DIR for a directory, show you the contents of the SD card, and then you can load CTN files, and load and save BASIC files, whatever you want to do with the file system there as far as that. See, we'll just load up uh, 
wagon bird here. And you can see. Fast. Very fast. Works well. Loads quickly. Basic, this little thing that displays characters here. Basic file. So, there you go. It's a wonderful little device for the MC10. It's going to allow you to uh, load and save programs. Uh, more easily than ever before. I'm not hearing Curtis. He's muted yeah. or something. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I muted myself. Sorry. You were talking away, though. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can lip read, right? No, oh, just kidding. <laughs> I was just going to mention one thing I wish the SDC had, the Cocoa SDC, was the ability to load basic programs directly like this does. Because if you're just you know, trying to debug a program or write it, rather than have to mount a disk image and then copy it onto a disk image and vice versa as you're you know, going through it, it would have been much easier to just be able to just, you know, if you're editing on a PC, just drop the basic program directly in and bang, just load it directly. So that's one feature. And this is actually a bit of a head of Cocoa SDC. So what do you guys think? Cool. You think it'll ever have a uh, GUI? You know, like, I like it. Thing. Well, 32k of RAM and PMOD4 supported with the uh, that internal mod. It, it's it's possible. It, you could literally do a Cocoa Max style program on it. Cool. I don't know who's gonna take the time to write one, but it's no. possible now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's all Ron wanted to hear is yes, we can get. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's a, that does not mean that I'm volunteering, just to let you know. Is it fair to have a, a MC10 that costs more than your Cocoa? Or has more, more uh, mods invested in it? No, just yeah. more money. <laughs> yeah. I, I still like the fact that his TV is so huge compared to the MC10. That Yeah. I've got to say, I did disassemble a 994A to get a keyboard for my Sinclair ZX81, so... All things are possible. <laughs> There's the MC10 internal mod. Now, this does not require you having that new card. This you can actually just do. And it'll give you, one, it'll give you a bit of extra RAM, even if you don't have the RAM expansion pack. And it also fixes the video issue of not being able to use more than 4K for video. So if you have an MC10, this is a very worthwhile mod to make irregardless. Next up, Steve Blakely, um, staying on the MC10 theme. This is actually a story that was published a while ago that I missed last week. This was actually done on the first. So he's running an MC10 ROM on a modified car engine computer, communicating at 9600 baud via the serial port. So that's a rather unique usage of uh, the MC10 ROM. And he's got some pictures of all the hardware hacked together and you know some of the software here. Car computer? <laughs> it's yeah. a new version of the Coco Yoda. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Boise's original Coco 2 project for a Toyota. 
So I don't know, does this mean, because he's ported the basic over, does that mean that the microcontroller on this particular car board he got, I'm not even sure which brand it is, was using a 6803? It would have to be, right? You'd think. Anyway, it's kind of a neat project, and uh, I wasn't aware that 6803 was used on, on car engine stuff, so that's that's kind of cool in and of itself. That was actually the main use. Motorola put all those together for microcontroller use, and Tandy just decided to go with an entry-level Coco using it as well. But, yeah, I would I would bet there's a lot of different car computers that ha actually use those microcontrollers. Yeah, because they had their own embedded RAM. They had timers and stuff on there, which the Coco itself yep. didn't have. It, it was actually not too bad of a little chip, to be honest. It's too bad that Motorola hadn't made a 6809 version with all that stuff thrown in. That would have been a pretty handy thing to have, or attach with the 639 for that matter. Okay, next up, Alan Huffman posted an updated version of his blog article of uh, compressing basic data with Base64. Now, this is part one. Uh, he has, has published a part two that anybody who is subscribed to his Subitha Software blog through WordPress actually got in their email because I did see it. But unfortunately, the links on his own site are broken, so I can't show it to you. Uh, I, I did mention it to him on, I think, the listserv too. So hopefully when he gets time, he'll fix that up or maybe he's planning on doing some changes to it. I'm not sure. But but there is two parts to this this article. And I was hoping he'd be around either in chat or on the show to kind of go in more detail because I didn't have time to get through it too much myself. But anyway, right. it's an interesting technical read. And, and did anybody else get a chance to really go through this more finely than I did? No, but he's he's quite a guy. He, he has a lot of history with the Coco. Yeah, I've, I first met him in when it was still Rainbow Fest, I think. Right, yeah. he was like Genie Sysop or something for yeah. years. Yeah. yeah, and he actually worked for Microware. He moved up from, uh, where was he originally, from Lufkin, Texas, I think. Right, and he's still in Iowa, yeah. poor guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> must be enjoying the snow. Unlike me. Okay, next up is um, Scotty Animation, who's a, a YouTuber I covered quite a while ago because he did some stuff uh, Coco-related back then. But basically, this uh, video here is on some pointers on fixing some older CTR Radio Shack cassette recorders for use with computers. Uh, in this case, it's, I think it's a 57. So that's not one of the ones that was officially. I think I'm trying to remember if CTR was the regular tape recorder and CCR was the computer recorder, even though there's not much of a difference between them. Um, you guys might know better than me, but basically I, they all I think would work. That's right. Yeah, basically they all work. I mean, I use third-party ones and they worked fine. Um, but he gives some tips in here on how to fix some of these if they they don't work. Like if you have stretch belts and stuff, so he kind of goes through, takes it apart, shows you what things to do, and then he demonstrates at the end actually loading some stuff on the cocoa. So it's, it's cocoa related that way. But uh, for any of those of you who are trying to fix, you know, cassette recorders from back in the day, and this might apply more to our Dragon brethren than to cocoa people because they use cassettes a lot more than than we did. If they haven't got any modern solutions or are trying to read old tapes, this might be a way to fix your existing recordings of trying to find one on eBay. Next up, this is part three. And I think he, he was in chat. I don't know if he still is. I think he had to run. I think he had family stuff today. But AC's 8-Bit Zone released part three and the final part of his fixing a Coco 2 for a subscriber to his channel. Now, he's one of the ones that we got introduced to through Septandi and he stuck with it. And he was a Coco guy back in the 80s and 90s too. So he has a history. But he actually goes through in like the last couple of shows, 
was basically going through the hardware and checking like for bad connections and stuff like that. I think with the first episode, the second episode, he was going through various chips and making sure voltages are right. And basically at the end of the second episode, he basically figured out it looks like one RAM chip was bad. Now this Coco 2 that he's fixing for this, this fellow uh, is one of the ones that has all the RAM soldered in. So he actually has to take out the chip, desolder it, solder in a socket and then replace the chip. Long story short, it does fix it. Um, so it's got fully working again. Uh, but this is this this three-part series is actually a really good tutorial for people that want to try to debug and and figure out a hardware problem with a Coco and some of the steps you can take and you know certain things to check for what order to check for them in. Um, I mean, he did a lot more than was required to fix the particular problem, but it gives you a good background on on exactly what types of things to look for when you're trying to fix a Coco one or two. So yeah. as a tutorial video, I think it's pretty good. Go ahead. Question. Uh, now, I haven't watched the video yet, but it sounds like you have. Did he, at any point in the video, did he get any uh, solder in his hair? No. No, he knows what he's doing, unlike me. <laughs> my my, my, my uh, debugging hardware is consists of phoning Bill Noble up and saying, can I drop this off for you to look at? That's my hardware yeah. skills. I watched the first <laughs> one. It was pretty good. Next up, this is kind of a, a, a different one. TGB Chris, who we've had some of his videos on the show, and he's in our Discord and stuff now too. Um, he's a guy who's got like Model 12s and 16s and 2s, and he actually you know, linked up the Coco as a terminal, or linked up the Model 3 or 4, I think, as a terminal to the Coco running OS 9, so you could actually log in, and, and he showed that on a video. So he does a lot of these intricate things. Um, in this case here, he does the unboxing of a Tandy DCM6 modem, speaking of Tandy modems that we were talking about earlier. Um he bought this on eBay from somebody, and the person that sent it had bought it during the fire sale that uh, Rick was talking about earlier that when Tandy was selling a lot of their stuff for dirt cheap. So whoever bought it before him bought this modem for $9.95, 10 bucks. Uh, manuals, everything. So he unboxes the whole thing here and finds the original receipts and where it was bought and you know that type of stuff. And he then mentioned that he's going to be planning to hook these up to between a couple of his black and white tier Mercedes to be able to communicate because he's got an extra modem on one of them. He's actually going to try to get them to talk directly to each other both through modems. But this would work fine on a Coco as well. And for those not familiar with it, that's the uh, case right there. You can see the big 995 on there for the fire cell and the connect button that was being mentioned earlier is on there too. So any of you who want to go after phone solicitors, if you still have a landline that they call you on, uh, maybe this is a good solution. You just pick it up, and then as soon as you figure out it's a phone solicitor, you can just you know give them an earful of static modem noise, which is awesome. <laughs> I just need so to get that a, and take that back to 20 years ago. See, so he's got an Altair to the left there. Yeah. Yeah, you saw that too. <laughs> That's one I never did use. I didn't go that far back. That's the fake one, though. It's the one with the Arduino. Yeah, it looked, it looked a bit, bit shiny. Sounds <laughs> like a PDP-8. Next up, this this is one of the most bizarre Coco-related videos I've ever seen. Uh, it's a channel I've not seen before. It's called Tech SMR. And apparently this is part of a series. I guess he's done this some other times. And he labeled it as ASMR relaxing. I'm not sure if I agree with the relaxing part. So what he did here is he's got a Coco 2 and he said he really likes the feel and the sound of the Coco 2 keyboard. And this is the full travel version of the keyboard. So he made a 10 minute video of him just typing on it. So all you hear is the clacking of keys for 10 minutes straight. I'd love to see if what he would do with you know, a Coco Mac from Ed Snyder. 
But I thought I'm not going to play 10 minutes of keyboard. I won't subject you guys to that. But just an interesting, interesting take here. Uh, if you want 10 minutes of keyboard, just join us in uh, Discord voice chat. Most nights. yeah, David Ladd usually <laughs> fills that in pretty good, or me. What? Huh? What? 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 <laughs> Go back to sleep, David. Ah, I feel rested already. What exactly <laughs> is the idea? I don't know. <laughs> That's why I put it on here because it's kind of unique. Um, okay, he just I likes can the sound you, of the keyboard, so he does I, ten minutes of typing. I can tell you, there's a bunch of videos on YouTube labeled ASMR, and the thing about ASMR is, in some people, certain sounds, voices. Uh, think of Bob Ross from Joy of Painting. He's like the uh, king of ASMR. Certain voices, certain sounds, will elicit some sort of a response in you, like your goosebumps or relaxation or something like that. So what people, does this ASMR stand for? Uh, autonomous sensory something response or something. I'm not quite sure. Um, but basically these sounds will trigger people feelings of relaxation or feelings of, you know, certain whatever. So well, we're, we're, we well, do, it, it's true then. Cause we, we actually don't, we enjoy playing with our machine and hearing that noise and, yeah, well, it could but be. Actually, we're, we're actually doing yeah, things when we're hearing it. But. Yeah, but listening to somebody else, dude, I'm not that keen on. Sorry. Mm. So people will make videos of writing, <laughs> writing on paper or folding paper or all kinds of different sounds that different people like. So that's basically what he's doing. He's using mm. the keyboard uh, because some people, I guess, like the clickety-clack sound of a keyboard. Mm. And that makes them relaxed or, or whatever. So. Okay, Jim Brain and Kevin Hallway both said it stands for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. Yeah. I don't know what the meridian means, so. Like, I get that with certain voices. I find them very relaxing, and they put they soothe. You know, Bob, like I said, Bob Ross from Joy Painting. That's why a lot of people watch him, because they find his voice very relaxing. So would you would you say, Nick, well, that uh, David Ladd's voice is relaxing? I was thinking that. <laughs> no, no, but this panel is. Kind of the other way around, yes. Uh, I'm kind of oh. thinking maybe Mikey's AMSR is uh, the new segment. Yes. Yeah, true. Well, right. so the droning monotony of my voice. So I think it's funny that this keyboard's being used because I don't personally find it relaxing, but somebody... No, may... I don't either. Right? <laughs> I couldn't make 10 minutes. I'd tear my hair out. I'd be soldering my own hair at that point. <laughs> yeah. That'd be so, so you could make a bazillion videos of noises. I'm just glad he didn't go for the U-log route where it runs for eight hours straight. <clears throat> I, I myself, I, I guess I got to say one thing. I, if I'm typing myself, I mean, I do like the louder keyboards. So I know exactly when I've hit a key. So the Coco, you know, the full travel keyboard or the Coco Mech keyboard in particular, that, I do like that for my own personal use when I'm by myself programming or something because well, I get that auditory feedback. This, but listening to is, somebody else do it or a room full of this, no. This is a Coco 2. Yes. Go to full travel. So it's basically the Coco 3 keyboard with four less keys. So the only reason you know you hit a key is because it made the loud clank when it bottomed out. Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, what, uh, David, you know the probably the model number. What's that original IBM keyboard that's so famous for? Well, no, those had buckling strings. So you could type where you felt it give and register before it bottomed out. You could type it gently. But the Coco keyboard, you can't type gently. You just have to bang on it. And get it down good and hard so that it records. Yeah, on the Coco Mech, you actually get that audio and you get that physical feedback when it hits that last part where it's actually clicking. So it's it's different than the Coco keyboards. That's which is why I like it so much. I bought two of them. 
Anyway, that's a pretty neat video. I hadn't heard of ASMR before, so I'm glad some people on the panel and in the chat actually know what the heck that is because I had no idea. So thanks, thanks for that, Nick. Uh, Nick's my new tech support for keyboards now. Mm. He's probably got Telewriter 64 up, right? That's, yes. <laughs> I do like the sound of pen, like a, a, a ink and like a fountain pen writing, and like you know, with the quill or whatever. That's like there are some sounds that are relaxing, but keyboard, I don't think so. Not for me. Yeah, not for me either. What Especially about David family. Ladd talking about what he wants to plug into a multi pack? <laughs> oh, yeah, but he I does with enthusiasm things. So. <laughs> yeah, can you plug a multi pack into a multi pack? That yeah, would not be a good thing because the fact that you only have one address to control them all. Hey, hey David O'Connor did it live with yes, Power right. That's a throwing yeah, back. That will, that will disrupt the space time continuum. <laughs> David uses uh, floppy drive stepper motor sounds. Yes, there we go. I wonder if oh. David, David O'Connor's got a headache again. <laughs> Poor I don't guy. Know. I haven't heard from him in a while. Anywho. Our next one here is from another channel that I'm not that familiar with called Mike's Tech Rescue. Now, he just joined the Facebook Coco group. I don't know if he's joined Discord. Uh, his name, real name is Mike Dancy. Um, and he released this video here, how to make your own RF cables for the computers. So what he was trying to do was hooking up, and let me all just mute this for now. He was trying to hook up uh, Coco to a CRT TV here, but he's using the Nintendo RF box. And I guess that does things a little bit differently. There's some extra circuitry in there that it comes with like crap like this. The, the Nintendo one is an auto switch, unlike the one that came with the Coco back in the day that is a manual switch. Okay, but apparently there's some circuitry in there too that also causes right. this. Oh, well, it's probably just not switching because there's, I think, I believe the Nintendo puts a, vo a voltage out on that line to make that switch. So, okay, that's why. So, at any rate, he found out on the Facebook group, and uh, Jason, I can't remember if you were involved with that discussion or not, but. Uh about just hacking together an RF cable and uh, composite. He kind of goes through and he shows, you know, just basically snipping them off and, you know, kind of tying the wires, wires together. Editorial comment. And in, in places that put their video on UHF 36, you didn't have any of these herringbone problems at all. It's the, Computer clock being so close to the video signal, yeah. That's why they added the extra shielding, I think, on like the Model 1 and stuff, because it was way off, really causing interference. Yeah, and you'd get sunburn from your ZX81, but you had a nice, clear screen. <laughs> I just want to show this, too. This was funny. He was here trying to tie the cables together, and he kind of goes, dexterity problems, please stand by. Yeah, not, not an easy thing to do to take two two cables like that and put them together. Not an easy thing to do. It's... Now, I'm going to pause it right here. Do you see a possible problem with the cable these made? Short. Ohms? Yes. <laughs> he noticed short. that too when he went Way to plug short. it in. <laughs> Way short. Yeah. Well, he's 75 to 300 ohms too. So, Well, just, the that's... actually the output on oh. the Coco is 70 is 75 ohms. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You can actually just take, and I have some pre-made cables here that I bought that just have an RCA cable uh, connection on one end uh, on mail. And then the other end has an F connector. You can just screw right on the antenna jack or, or our adapters available to work. So great. why did they use that stupid video switch? 
Uh, I think that was because you wanted to switch between it. it so there was there was a match transformer in there to go to 300. Uh, yeah. Well, back then, a lot of the TVs didn't have the 75 ohm coaxial jack. They had oh, the God. 300 ohm twin lead. Yeah. And they're on way around. Thank yeah. you. And the other thing, too, is, is for people that might want to go a pre-rated go route, you can off of Amazon pick up a package of um, <clears throat> RCA to uh, RG6 adapters. So then oh, yeah. all you have to do is plug the RCA cable straight into the adapter and then screw the adapter onto the back of the TV. I like. He's already noticed the cable was too short because now he's having to hold the computer up to actually test it. <laughs> right. This sounds like something I would do. Didn't never done that. Well, yep. well you, now, all, you can get you it perfect here. You just tied this together by hand. He didn't solder it together or anything. No. So he's got a clean picture now, but the color's not quite right. So then he goes and he does a few other adjustments and does a proper job and ends up with this. So I, I left him uh, a comment, um, you know, because he was trying to get a mem check and figure out how much memory he had here. And uh, I told him how to do that. And I told him to invite him to watch the show and stuff. He is on the Facebook group too. And then he also goes through in some details with the, uh, the Nintendo to kind of take that apart and kind of show what extra stuff it's adding in that is causing some of the issues. And he went through the technical explanation. I don't understand, Jason, you probably do, but. Right. And it's pretty good because it shows that if you have one of these RF, you know, capable CRT TVs and you don't have the box or anything, you can actually quickly hack a cable and it's actually not that hard. Um to get it working properly so very good i probably would have used a shorter the where the um rca cable is made that real close to the you know not have a four or five inch length on there yeah he made it he made a longer cable at the end of the video after he figured out that he made it way way too short so next up uh mr paul barton who i believe is still on the panel here Yep. Is designing another 16550. Now, uh, we were talking before the show there about possibly combining Paul's stuff with Ron on Ron's Garage. Um, and it sounds like you guys are okay with that idea, but I think we'll start that next week because I already have it in here. Yeah, sure. that's all right. <laughs> or you don't have to. Either way. Yeah. No, I just think it's a good idea because you, you guys actually keep in contact and kind of know each other's projects a little bit too. So it's... Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We're in a, each other's business. It's the it's the Ron's Garage Arizona <laughs> Contingent or whatever you want to call it. Okay. So anyway, Paul, if you want to explain here, I know it's a dual 16550 PCB. If you want to just kind of go through the details of uh, what you're planning yeah. here and what stage you're at. Yeah, right now it's uh, for that particular picture that you show, it's a fixed address. And so one of the UARTs is at the low address and the other one's at the higher address of that six of the eight of a byte like F, all of FF60 or something like that. So one would be on the low half and one would be on the high half. I don't remember which one this is, but I'm revamping it a little bit so that you can put it anywhere in the IO space. So that'll be, I'll call it the serial spelled with a C dash 2X or X2 or something like that. And the outputs you'll see on the right edge there's a six-pin header that's TTL output. So what I use are those FTDI 232R-5V cables. So you plug the cable in there. The, arch, the uh, level shifters are in the plug of the USB end, and that just goes into your 
whatever you want to plug it into your laptop or something, and then you can run those UARTs at speeds upward to 1.5 million if you want. Typically, I use a 14.3 crystal, and that gives you 400,000, which is, you know, it, the cocoa can't keep up with that, but the rate of one byte going out is 400,000, so... Yeah, just in little bursts as you... Yeah, little little blips. And I've tested it with Linux uh, using like Minicom and it receives fine. So... Cool, because that, that means you're you're designing a card that'll do two and you'll be able to readdress them to get around any other hardware you may have installed right. in the system. Yeah, and then Ed's also got his Mega Mini MPI has a dual 16, 515, and two. So now we're going to have two hardware solutions. We just need to get some software support for you guys right. properly up and running. So right. what's, what is this jack that you explained the number of? Is it the um, cable that you use to hook up any, like a printer to USB? Is that the square jack? It's got a flat side on it. Is that what you're talking about? Oh, let's see if I've got one here. I've got this. Uh, it's a it's a cable like this. It's got a spin header on one end and on the Should other. Should I end. stop sharing so you can show everybody this? Yeah, cycle? do that. Yeah. Okay. Hello. Yeah, here's the here's the oh. plug end that goes into the board. Okay. And That's the other different. end is USB, and the US. The FTDI chip is actually in the plug itself, and it's five volt compatible. So you can buy these cables, uh, three volt, five volt, TTL, not TTL, whatever you want. They well, what does the chip in there do? It converts the TTL signals to USB. Oh, so serial to can USB converter basically. So, so you don't need level shifters, the old RS two thirty two level shifters anymore. Just use a cable like this, and you've got USB on the other end. Now, if Alex. you want to do it differently, then you'll have to build up a little board, which I can hack up pretty quick, make up a little board that plugs into that header and gives you a real RS-232 levels. So um, what, what does a cable like that cost? I don't remember. I bought these probably 20 years ago or 15 years ago. So does that basically do the same thing as my RS-232 pack and then my um, USB to, um, serial port thing? Probably. probably yeah. Only, only it's going to be much faster than 19.2. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, with a 14.3 crystal, you can... Right? set it up for just about any speed you want that would be good. probably without reason <laughs> yeah maybe overflow well, at that point i had to use 18 to hit 115 correctly with the 550 just informational what's that i'd use 18 megahertz crystal to hit 115 good uh, 24 in the data sheet, it says to use a 24 meg crystal to hit the, the 1.5 meg. Oh, okay, that wouldn't directly. Do that's that's why I changed. It. Okay, never right. mind. I'm I'm wrong. Yeah, I've used that and it works. So it, when you get it set up, I'd like to try it on a, you know, yeah. a surf. Could I use 
you assign a um, serial port then, just like I would with my S-Term program? I imagine. I don't know how. You'd have to have the right driver because it's not a 6551. This is what I was using to test that. So it's CPLD for addressing and then uh, 6550 with a crystal and a little patch area if you want to put in your own level shifters and stuff. And these work fine. There's a few mods on the back, you know, because it's a prototype. But Bodge it does wires, work. Bodge wires. Hey, Bodge wires. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, Rick, Rick, you sold the 16550, the Fast232, as you called it, from Konek back in the 90s. So some yeah, of you have that, some familiarity that, with. Got a little previous experience, and it was painful. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I've moved on, and yeah, we're working on a new project. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for the update. I'll steal the screen back. Okay. Next up, Robert Sieg has been busy. <clears throat> We've showed off his composite, uh, you know, pseudo 286 color mode where he's running it on composite and you get that bleeding together of colors. So he's been doing a lot of experimenting on various images and stuff, trying to get it looking as good as he can in the 160 by 192 by 16 color mode with the bleeding colors. So he's got this one here he did, um, a bit of a face. And then this one here, he's been experimenting multiple times. You can see the original picture in the lower right and it's gradually getting better. I mean, this is definitely looking closer to the original photo than uh, some of his earlier attempts from last week were. Do you understand what he's doing to make the pictures change color? Can you explain that? I think it's just he's experimenting with an algorithm to see how the colors bleed. And then he like, writes an algorithm to convert the original to whatever the cocoa can display. Because the cocoa literally is still only displaying 16 colors at a, on a technical level in composite. Yeah, it's mapping vertically and horizontally to control the bleed. So that's he's oh. trying to do, the different experiments are checking how it looks with different combinations, both vertically and horizontally as it moves pixel by pixel. So those are um, numbers that he's putting into the program listing? And the way that the algorithm is actually scanning the original image and picking what the pixel patterns are supposed to be. So he keeps tuning that, that recipe several different directions. By, yeah. ch by changing numbers in the program. Well, it's more the algorithm because the program itself is trying to figure out what two colors should I mix vertically and horizontally to try to get this color I can't normally display. And he's tweaking the algorithm of how that's calculated. So I guess numbers sort of technically, but I think it's yeah. more programmatically. Like paint mixing. Yeah, yeah, similar. But a lot of the With ways a leaky brush, you have to worry about what, where it splashes on either side or up above and below. <laughs> right. So that's the part he's figuring out right now. All right, so, so my thought is... Um, does is there going to be is he going to wind up with a standard for all pictures or is it going to have to tune this for just each picture you know what i mean um, I, i'm not sure do you know alan he's looking at a generalized algorithm so it should apply to all the pictures okay but i think that it's got enough controls in it that you could play with it so i would jump on that post and actually leave him a the the question directly because that would be good for everybody to see yeah it's like having a knob on the digitizer <laughs> you know kind of yeah and you're turning the knob to change the way the 
the thing does things. Yeah. If you guys remember the OS9 uh, picture view utility called View GIF by Von Cato, because he had the ones where he could flicker between two pictures, and he uses that kind of an algorithm in there too, because he's mixing colors between two screens, he flips between, and he actually had a couple settings that you could tell it a different couple different ways to generate the color mixing. You could do it based on brightness, you could do it based on tint, etc. Well, isn't so that what high color does with all the? Uh, well, he's using beginning. a lot more tricks in high color. He's using all what's it's Sockmaster uses every trick in the book type thing. But yeah, it's it's similar in in principle. But this is trying to do it a bit more simplified, so it's quicker to display because high color takes a while to generate the picture, and it builds a unique except, thing for every it, picture it does. If it, I remember except correctly. in VCC. Well, yeah, if you're on something, you know, <laughs> the Gimme X, it'll run a little bit better too if you you know, jumped it up to two point eight six megahertz. But yeah. Remember that old flicker mode that did red, green, and blue, and then switched between them really quickly? Yeah, the author's here, Nick Morandi's. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he did that. Okay. I remember. That was part of the Rascan digitizer, or Digiscan, as the plate called. Yeah, that worked, except for the flicker. Well, exactly. But hey, Curtis is making it faster. Let's, uh, <laughs> he'll fix it. Is it going to be prettier then? No, the, the flicker is set by the speed of the re refresh rate on the screen, so you can't really speed that up. Yeah. Now, you can put a clock crystal in to jump the Cocoa up so it actually refreshes like 66 hertz or something. And if you had some oddball monitor, like a neck multi-sync that can support that, <laughs> it actually did smooth it out a bit. <laughs> oh, well, that, that red, green, blue mix uh, flickered between three images, so it's going to be... Uh, 60 divided by three is the is the refresh rate. Yeah, 20 hertz. I was running it at 23 because I overclocked mine, but um, do you still have one, um, Nick? Uh, which one? A functioning one, rat scan. Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, and that would be cool to see that work, you know, to actually watch. <laughs> you have a camera and set and stuff that you can demonstrate sometime. Yeah. I'll have to see if I can find it and set it up. <laughs> well, it would be really cool to see. I mean, I've, I've there, there's really sample pictures out there, Ron, if you haven't seen. Like, there's a big picture of a koala bear with a jar of Vegemite, you know, because they're trying to kill the poor koala bear. Didn't that um, show it on our show that, one time? I seem to recall this. I think so, yeah. Yeah, Nick, you demoed I it on can't. the show once. Did he? But he, they had a really excellent picture of that. He had a picture of a VW I, he, bug, I think. Um, he, yeah. showed, he showed the software, but he didn't actually. Yeah, run. yeah. Ron's talking about seeing the actual. Oh, seeing the actual scanning and, and yeah, taking I, pictures. I, uh, actually, seeing notice, the hardware work. When you mentioned starting up the old hardware, here is some blue smoke. <laughs> Super <laughs> <Yeah>. high resolution. <laughs> Beware. <laughs> yeah, this is the other one. Was experimenting with colors here, so he's got the original, you know. 24-bit color picture in the lower right corner there with a lot of detail and a lot of gradations of blue. And then his his algorithm as it currently stands, uh, you know, kind of mixing the colors together here. So is that the blue piece. smoke that's with the computer turned off? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I will mention one other thing with Rascan Digiscan too that Nick did is that he had an option. I don't I don't care if you sufficiently supported that in the software, but you had mentioned it in the manual of hey, actually hey. taking two photos instead of three. And instead of putting color filters, are you offset the camera to the side? Yeah. And if you did and you one create. in red and one in green or blue, and then you put the old 3D glasses from the old movies <laughs> yeah. on, you'd actually get yeah. a true Ooh. 3D image because you'd yeah, have the offset do. viewpoint from each of your eyes. Would and that actually a... didn't flicker as bad. That was 30 hertz. So that actually didn't look too bad. Would that be a, a grayscale then? Would, it would appear kind of grayscale, yeah. Yeah. It would be kind of red, bluey, it was, gray, it, but... it, Yeah, it'll be a red scale or green scale, <laughs> depending on the colors 
Cool. Yeah, James Jones mentioned in the chat here, <clears throat> he fiddled with Cato's view gif with the eye to speeding the code. If memory serves, it uses a method called median cut to figure out the palettes, which I think is correct. I know Bill and I modified it too back in the day. Unfortunately, I don't know if I still have a copy of it. Well, maybe I do. I'll have to take a look. But we, we optimized it for the 6309, first of all, so it was running faster. And then we also changed it to run in the 200 row mode instead of just the 192. So you actually would get extra eight lines of graphics on each screen. And it had the option of saving, like after you decoded a GIF, because that took minutes, especially on complicated pictures. But you could actually tell to save it as a VEF instead, even with the page flipping between the two different color sets. But it would load in like literally fast, then it would just load in like five seconds and be done. So you can actually, it's kind of like high color. You can render a picture that takes minutes to generate and then save it so that it loads really quick afterwards. Yeah, that's good. And until until high color came out, honestly, that was the best VIF if you were on the Coco Disk Basic or OS nine. Of course, a gimme uh, gimme X is going to change all of that. Yeah, I mean, even the uh, Coco VJ has changed that because I mean, the, the latest version of the Coco VJ has got a thirty-two thousand color palette you can fiddle with and page flip. Lower did, res, unfortunately. Did but, you uh, ever pay attention to the uh, projector three? That um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, Roger I Taylor did. Yeah. Yeah. Because that did quite a few different. Um, it did. Yeah. Yeah. The, the equivalent in the OS9 world would be viewed by uh, Tim Cancel because he did one that did GIFs, image scans like Nix, uh, did uh, all the old Coco 1 and 2 formats, Coco Max, straight bins and all that kind of stuff. It did Color Max, Color Max Deluxe, Coco Max 3, Coco Max 1 and 2, uh, Atari ST. There was a version that did that. There's a ton of them, home publisher files, all kinds of things. Is, it, is that up on the uh, It's built into you if you want to fiddle with it. Yeah, I do. So yeah, I remember back in the day between VIEW and VU, you could pretty much look at anything. Yep. I, I still use those programs to this day. <clears throat> I use VU because it was fast and I also optimized that for the 639, though I have to fix it. Apparently I had a bug on the last release and unfortunately I lost the source. So I have to redissemble the stupid thing. Um, but I sped up like VF viewing, I sped up CM3 viewing, I sped up GIF viewing in a couple of the formats, so it's quite a bit faster. And it does pretty good dithering for doing GIF pictures, but view GIF by Von Cato, which was much slower and only did GIFs, did a much better job, but it took a lot longer to view. Hey, since we're talking about um, ease of use, when when I'm in the little window, when it, when I hit copy and I'm in drive D, so let's say D1, when that copy window comes up, it says change name or something like that or name. Um. Yeah, that that's the path where you want to copy it to. Right. How, like, where where do what do I start doing there? Um, are you copying onto the same drive or a different drive? Well, if I want to go to drive D one to DD, you know, in a folder in DD, like say text. Okay, you'd select well, it on D one the file you're copying, and then you'd hit copy, and then you do where it asks where to put it. You put slash D one or to slash DD slash whatever your folder name is. Slash the file to, name and it would copy to, it under that under uh, that name. Do you do have to put the file name again in there? Even though I believe so. That is something I do want to change. I actually okay. want to change the whole way that whole copy thing's done, but that's that's a okay. longer term future. But, yeah. Basically, you type in the full path. All it does is it saves you the source path. Like if you did the copy command under a shell, you'd type copy the full path to the source name, space, full path to the destination, which okay. means you can rename it at the same time or you can you know, retype the same name. That just saves you that you can select the file you're copying with the mouse, select it, right. but you still have to type in the entire path for the destination. Okay. The shell has the same problem. If I want to copy, I'm used to in Linux, just putting the directories, ending with the slash, and the name carries on. 
Oh, you can do that on OS 9. Just don't use the standard copy command, UCP or MS copy or any of those. They all do that. Okay. Everything but copy does that. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> okay. Thanks. I, I actually switch between those two because MS copy is really fast. It's machine language, small, and you can put a 56K buffer, which means you're copying large files. It's quite big. It'll copy and create subdirectories and all kinds of stuff. And it has the basic DOS style wildcards. Um, the star period star? Star period, whatever. Yeah, or the question mark works too. CP, on the other hand, um, it has a limit of how many files it can copy at a time, but it lets you do other stuff that you can't do. It's got better wildcarding because it actually handles the shell plus wildcards where you can do range letters. Like I only want files that start with A to F. You can do the range within the square brackets. It also has the ability to link files too, which means if you want the same file to show up in two different directories, but not take twice as much disk space, you can tell it, I want a CP dash L, um, file one and then slash dd slash source code slash file two and it'll make a link it'll only take a directory entry for the second copy but it's still using the original copy so if you modify that file in either directory they both instantly see it which is very handy for certain things especially if you're doing like multi-user and stuff too and you set the permissions right i use that yep. a fair bit too so there's right. a couple of really good copy commands built into eou they are kind of documented in the help file a little bit right now but uh i never use a stock copy i hate that thing I'd like to declare asparagus. Yeah, I was just going to say. <laughs> sorry. CP asparagus. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Okay, next one. So this is from Aaron Newcomb, who's one of the guys that you know helps occasionally hosts This Week in Google and this uh, some of the other shows on the Twit Network. <clears throat> and uh, he was asking, and he's one of the guys that rejoined the Cocoa community through Septandy. So he's asking about some uh, getting, trying to scan in program listings, not just the articles, but program listings, which are sometimes done in those line printer fonts from uh, various magazines. Now, he shows an example here from Rainbow. Now, Rainbow, we've got most, not all, but most of the Rainbow on disk or tape is on the archive already. So probably if you're looking for a Rainbow program, you can find it on there. On the other hand, we do not have that for Color Computer News, Color Computer Magazine, uh, Hot Cocoa, I think we've got some on there. So this would be, if anybody has solutions to this or a good OCR program that is actually able to figure out line printer fonts, we don't have to retype these things in by hand. It would be great if you can help them out with this because this is something I would, wouldn't mind having either. I mean, I typed in Autobahn from Spectrogram Magazine. That took me several days to figure out the five typing mistakes I did. And uh, so that, that would be a very useful thing. I don't know if anybody here has a solution for that or has, has heard of a solution for that. Most of the time, the line printer ones are fuzzy enough that most of the OCR has no idea what to do with it or makes a lot of mistakes itself, so it doesn't really save you any time. Take a look at the Tesseract engine that's available as a module for a number of other OCR type things. Tesseract, depending on the scan quality, can do a pretty good job with that. Oh, really? I hadn't heard of that. Yeah. And strangely enough, fuzzing out the original graphic a little bit will help when they've got the fake dot matrix dots. Yeah. Because yeah. OCR doesn't like all those dots. Yeah. I've done that too, where you've, you've basically, you purposely blurred a little bit. So the dots run together, but yeah, uh, Alan, if you can post a link to Tesseract or, or some details on it in the YouTube chat, so we can get it on the rec recorded video. Uh, uh, you know, sometime I, over the rest of the show. I don't have here. the YouTube, but what? Okay. Or even post it in the chat here, and one of us can link it into the, the YouTube video so it's safe for posterity. Yeah, there you go. Uh, 
Okay, next up, Richard Kelly, the one we mentioned about doing Ladder Man, released another disc image here too. And this is a bunch of one-liners. So he's got seven one-liners that he put onto one little disc image. And basically, you know, this is the challenge that Rainbow used to have. They used to have people submit, you know, and actually you know, win little tiny prizes and stuff. Of what can you do in one line of basic code? You know, you're limited to 250 characters roughly. And he's got seven programs here. He's got a bouncing dot. I'll just, I'll just show the screen here. I didn't really zoom up too much. Bouncing dot, horse race, kaleidoscope, spiral wipe, mirror effect, rotor invasion, fizzle to black. And I remember these used to be a big challenge. In fact, somebody was trying to rekindle the whole one-liner thing back in the early 2010s, if I remember. Because it's a kind of a fascinating thing. A lot of other computers do this too. They have one and two-liner, sometimes 10-liner. And you see what you can do in the native basic on whatever computer platform you're on in that limited number of lines. How much useful program can you make? If I remember correctly, I think Jim Gary even made a very limited Pac-Man, the complete game in one line, um, which is pretty amazing stuff. So but anyway, if you guys are interested in that kind of stuff, uh, Richard's put up seven programs you can fiddle with. And that's available on Facebook as a download. Next up from the Dragon Users Group on Facebook. And I'm, I'm really going to bugger up this poor guy's name, I'm sure. Piotr Bugai? Bugaj? No idea. Um, but he's got this Dragon Drive thing, which is an upgraded floppy interface. And uh, I should mention the guys from Poland. Um, these are floppy interfaces with a built-in GoTech uh, drive, but it also has a second connector for hooking up a real drive. So this is a, a really good solution if you're trying to restore all your floppies onto a GoTech or, or taking GoTech images and putting them onto a real floppy drive. Um, and and just like Ed Snyder here, he sold out as, you know, within days of putting this post up of his entire new run. So, um, you know, put in a recommendation, just like with Ed, you know, send an email. Can I get on the next batch of whatever hardware you're waiting for? And you'll hopefully get it. It does sound like this guy's got a pretty good reputation for selling stuff. And uh, when he does new batches, he just notifies them and everybody who's been in the queue and then some leftovers go to the, some of the new people. But uh, apparently he makes pretty good quality hardware for the Dragon community in Europe. So, And that particular device is an extremely good device. Oh, it, you've used one? I have one. And oh, the, uh, give me some details because I don't know nothing about this. So this was new to me. But basic, well, this has been out for, I think, a year or two or something like that. Um, but basically this is a uh, mod to a previous floppy controller he did, which is a clone of the original... Um, um, Dragon floppy disk controller, mm -hmm. but this has the GoTech built into it. But it also has a external floppy connector, so that way you can still plug a, a floppy drive into it, and therefore you can you have the GoTech and a real floppy drive. And a GoTech's an SD card solution or compact flash or something like that. No, similar USB. to USB. Oh, USB. Okay. Yeah, so you just plug a USB flash drive into it. And it, it, yeah, it, it pretty much anybody that has used a GoTech will know how that part works. Um, but yeah, inside there is a real floppy controller and a GoTech married together. And then there's an external port. So, so do you have a floppy hook to it and and have you actually successfully used it or do you just have one no i plugged it into my dragon tano and you know formatted a floppy since you know unlike radio shack that their basic only did 35 tracks single-sided 
um, at least Dragon DOS supports um, up to 80 tracks double-sided. Okay, so what is what a, what would a command sound like if you were loading a program off of your drive in, into the computer? A load quote, whatever the basic program is, quote, hit enter. If it's a loadem, then it's a load M, quote, name of the program, quote, enter. Huh. And then the GoTech, would they have directories or, or any kind of a, like an SD menu or anything? Um, that's going to be a long process that there's no way I can explain it. You just have to um, look at the GoTech information to get an idea. Because that would be something that could probably spend 5, 12, 24 hours just discussing. And yeah, I'm not getting into that now. So that's cool. So it's a, it's a basically it's a USB stick flash drive reader writer combined with an actual controller that will run a real floppy, and then you can just willy nilly copy between the two as much as you want. Well, the GoTech is basically an emulated floppy drive. So as far as the controller is concerned, the GoTech that's in it is a real floppy drive. Oh, okay. So it's like a switch. You can switch between either the controller or the GoTech. No. The GoTech is a emulated floppy drive, which means as far as the controller is concerned, it is a real floppy drive. So it'll even work on like copy protected programs or odd sector formats and all that kind of stuff, as long as the file set up yes. to match correctly. Okay. That's pretty cool. I actually, I, I didn't know anything about that. I've heard of it before, but I didn't really know too much about it. So well, I, yeah. hooked up, I hooked up my uh, SDC to my, uh, dragon but could, couldn't find anywhere on the syntax to be able to load in a program because i couldn't get it to work and that that's something that you're going to have to talk to the people that's made the special sdc dos for the sdc um or the um dragon dos for the sdc because that's a whole different ball of wax that i've not used I assume you flipped the, the jumper for Dragon. Uh, yeah, I, I I got the prompt. Yeah, you need the was... Dragon DOS ROM burned in on one of the banks, yeah. and you need the switch flipped over because the addressing is different. Yeah. So I, I Dragon DOS, when I remember, is a fair bit different. I mean, load M and load, I think, work the same, but some of the other commands are different than for you. Somewhere I read that bank 2 is supposed to have Dragon DOS built in, but I'm not sure if that's true or not. Oh, but maybe three. Bank one has bank one has no bank zero is SDC DOS. Bank one is RS stock disk basic. Yeah, and I think bank two is supposed to be Dragon DOS, but I read that somewhere, but I don't know if it's. Actually I, I believe bank seven is Hagen DOS. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyway, he sold 62 of these already, and he's, he's already sold out, like I said, in days. So he'll be making another batch soon, hopefully. And um, for our Dragon fellows there, uh, it, it sounds like a really good upgrade. And from what David described, it's actually better than I thought it was. So thanks for yeah. that, David. Yeah, that's no problem. Now, for people that are used to the SDC, um, the GoTex are nothing compared to the, the ease of use with the SDC when merged with the uh, um, SDC Explorer. Because changing uh, disk images, you have to use the two buttons or the knob to switch. And oh, there's no software stuff. control for that. No, because it's a floppy drive. It's it would be like saying, 
uh, from the controller, hey, could you switch to this other other thing that I know you don't know how, anything about, but switch to this disk image? Uh, okay. Because it's a floppy drive as far as the controller's concerned. So... So you, you click the buttons on the on the thing itself there to say I want to switch to disk image fifty five or exactly. whatever the name of it is. Yeah, okay. So it's kind of like that other one I showed earlier in the news then, that other uh, Arduino based one with the little screen. Oh, for the, the buttons to select where you your, switch through the yes that's, cassette images. Yeah, the only difference is this is a disk drive emulator versus a floppy emulator or a cassette emulator. Yep, it's uh, the GoTex are very popular for old synth. Um, keyboards that had floppy drives. Um, well, they're they're popular in a lot of eight and sixteen bit systems, even because uh, the Amigos. I mean, uh, quite a few of their people use GoTex on their Amigas and on Atari STs and Atari eight bits and all kinds of stuff. So it's a pretty. Well, popular. I would just I would just like to say that I think then we're spoiled. <laughs> we are. If you talk to the Amigos, like they say, oh, the Coco STC front end is one of the best front ends awesome. on any of them. Yes. You know, and, and my expectation was to to flip over to uh, Dragon and do the same thing. Uh-uh. I, you no. could do it with the STC, I think, but nobody's written the Dragon DOS compatible version of the STC Explorer, so. Shame. And, of course, we've got a kind of a, a GUI thing in, in Nitrous 9 Ease of Use, too. I mean, you know, MultiView is already preset up and ready to go. You can just double-click on drives and go through directories and run programs, too, so it's. Another way, we've, we've got a couple of ease of use solutions, depending on which OS you want to use. You mean I can go through my SDC in uh, a no, shell? Yeah. No, you go no. through your hard drive image on your SDC, your 128 meg hard drive image. But, but I just I but can't Bill load Noble up. is working on something like that. Yeah, I can't just load up a SD card with uh, OS 9 stuff on it and... You, you can through the command line, and I will be adding that to G Shell. It won't be in beta six because okay. uh, Bill and I are still working on some STC utilities fixes and, and some additions and stuff. You yeah. will be able to eventually. I can tell you that. You know, I, I sit and daydream about stuff, and then I, I think of these questions to ask, but then they get lost. <laughs> now, <laughs> this is one of them that came up. Okay. Well, I can tell you that that will be added. They won't be right right away, unfortunately. There's a um uh. There's a pack you can get from uh, the Coco Archive. It's uh, OS 9, and it has text files and stuff in it. And you're supposed to be able to um, um, extract it to a, you know, it's an ISO, and you can extract it like to an SD card. Yeah, it has, um, do you know anything about that? I, I know some of the ISO formatted CD Images because they, they did that back in the late nineties. I think Chris Hawks is the one who wrote the CD-ROM file manager. But okay, but yeah, you you can mount SDC images under Nitrous Nine using the SDC utility. I think Barry Nelson wrote that or, or did the last mod on it. And Bill and I are working on a, an enhanced version of that. And then we're going to build in an enhanced, a further enhanced version of that into G Shell. So our ultimate goal, might as well tell you guys, is our it's, plan. It's, Hopefully, it's it works. It's going to be great. The, the plan is, if it works, is that you're going to be able to right-click on, say, slash H1, and then it'll give you a list of the images on your SD card, and you just wow. select them and click it, and it'll mount it. Wow. We are going to, however, protect it so that you can't change DD. You can do that through the command line if you have to. 
But G-Shell is kind of dependent on the fact that it's running off DD and some of its support programs run off DD. So if you suddenly switch it out from underneath it, it's going to royally lost. screw up. Yeah. So we're only going to allow that on floppy or, you know, the second hard drive, not the first primary one. That one's going to have to stay. So just to let you know. Neat. Anyway, on to the last story for the day. This is uh, Jim Gary posted a blog article on key to bounce delay pokes for the MC-10. Um, so the key bounce routine is basically making sure that it doesn't double ghost keys because basically it just switches and you hold on the key and it just it, it, it registers that the keys held down. And we start getting between switching between keys and multiple keys at the same time. It gets a little bit complicated with the PIAs, et cetera. So this is some pokes where you can actually decrease the amount of time between the key bounce. And from reading, I briefly looked at the article here, but later on, some people were asking him about it. And it does sound like it actually speeds up basic a little bit because it doesn't have to do as much debouncing routines between key presses and basic. So you get a slightly faster, more fluid, more smooth keyboard registration, which might help on things like games and stuff because the MC-10 default does not have a joystick port. Go ahead. It's because you're not sitting in a decrement X loop forever. Yeah. Yeah. Is that something? It speeds up basic. It makes it more fluid. It makes the keyboard response better, actually, because it doesn't need the amount of keyboard debouncing that it's actually doing. So it's actually, it sounds like a nice little thing. It's just a couple of pokes and then you speed up your MC10 a slight bit. In in the um, extended basic of the MC10, are they going to have a joystick uh, future there? Um, The Alice did have a third-party joystick solution back in the day even that they sold that went on the expansion pack on the back. I don't know if any of the current add-ons support that because there's no joysticks built in the mc10 at all no so you need additional hardware through the expansion bus in the back now we've got these other ones that have sd cards and all kinds of other stuff i don't know if any of those actually have joystick ports well that that would be the next logical thing right since they've done video memory um cassette storage on an sd card yeah so that's the only thing left i i think didn't ed snyder have one prototype for that a few years back, but yeah, I think so. That he did something for the MC10, and then it led to the Coco PSG. Okay, because yeah, getting an all in one that actually has that added on with some of these other features, he's him and Darren have been adding in would be kind of nice to get the one card solution for everything. Man, yeah, what somebody did, posted uh, a sound chip um, cartridge you made that had the joystick ports for the MC10? That was yeah. it, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, I kind of vaguely recall there was some some joystick solution, though. Hey, I wanted to mention the article because it's it's pretty good that it actually gives you a bit of a speed increase and, you know, and actually in, increases the efficiency of basic. And then also to mention that he's added these pokes that do this, and he's got a list here on the screen I'm showing right now of all the games he's updated. So those games will not play a bit smoother on a real MC10 or a real Alice. So if any of you have these games and you want to get the new versions, here's a list of them on his, his blog site. Links in the uh, the chat. So, And that is the end of today's or this week's news. I think Coco Man has a news. Oh, uh, I have an acquisition. So, Do we I want to do a commercial break before we do acquisitions and project updates? He, he has to leave. Yes. No, I have time, but we go oh. ahead and go ahead and go ahead and do a commercial break. No problem. Okay. I just figured after hearing me blather for an hour that people would want to break. 
<laughs> I know I do. After these messages, we'll be right back. Fletcher, I don't need that report tomorrow. Great, JT. I need it tonight. But, JT... Fletcher saved $300 on her office away from the office. Radio Shack's revolutionary Model 100 computer. It's a word processor, phone directory, and dialer. It even communicates with the office computer. Fletcher, how's that report? Fletcher. Radio Shack's Model 100. Save $300 and put it to work. You'll go far, Fletcher. <laughs> You'll go far. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. On holidays, Uncle JT would entertain us with stories of his business conquests and his assistant who would meet any deadline that he imposed, no matter how ridiculous. Well, until she shot him in the face, that is. Hi, this is the award-winning Alan Huffman of Subbie the Software, and you're watching Stevie Fall Off Cliffs. What's going on, guys? Stevie Stroh here, and I want to say thank you so much for being part of this adventure with us. It's been such a great experience in doing Coco Talk every week, and the support we get is just amazing. And so the fact that you watch and listen is all the reward that we need. However, if you would like to become a patron of the show and offer some financial assistance towards the production and hosting costs of the show, we do have a Patreon site available for that, and you can reach that by going to our website at cocotalk.live and clicking on the Patreon link. But just do us a favor and watch and listen to the show. This is not the Joey Serial Switch. This is the Joey Serial Switch. Control up to three serial devices. Order yours today at CocoMan.biz. Radio Shack, America's technology store. This Christmas, Tandy has a very special offer. A family color computer pack to take away at a very special price. This family computer comes complete with software and costs an incredible $449, a saving of $241.69. It's powerful, educational, and ideal for the young and young at heart. The easy way to start computing. The color computer family pack from Tandy. Get it while it's hot. Tandy, the biggest electronic store in Australia. Yeah. Hi, I'm Tim. Playing Daggereth like that idiot from the book. <laughs> You're watching Coco Talk. Oh, okay. So we're ready for um, new or acquisitions and updates. Why not? Sure. Okay. Uh, Jason, I guess uh, you had, you needed to go first. Yeah, I'd like to go first because I don't know how long we're going to be. But uh, yeah, I'll uh, I'll go first here. Um, uh, made made a trip last weekend to the uh, to the consignment store. That don't ask me. I won't I won't divulge where it is. It's uh, my my little secret. But uh, picked up some not necessarily cocoa stuff, but some retro stuff. Some of it could be, you know, could be a cocoa. Yeah, well, I don't. It could be it could be uh, used on a cocoa like a. 
I picked up this uh, I picked up this uh, Sega Genesis arcade stick set up and that would and that would be you can use that on a cocoa with um, one of the uh, various uh, joystick adapters that are out there on the market. So that's pretty cool. I'm gonna looks big. It is big. I haven't bigger. It's, it's almost as big as my head. Yeah. But uh, and some really other other cool things I picked up. Uh, I picked up. Uh, I picked up an IntelliVoice module in in the box. Oops, actually, so all rubber banded together here. Uh, the the IntelliVoice IntelliVoice module and uh, along with that. Uh, has a name of a Coco game, but I picked up the I picked up Bomb Squad for it uh, that'll work with the IntelliVoice uh, <laughs> module. That's gonna be really cool once I get my Intellivision set back up. I'm gonna try that out. How, how much did you get that for? Uh, both of these were like thirty dollars. Right. together. What about the joystick thing? Joystick was originally twenty, but it was marked down to fifteen. Pretty good deal. Yeah, it's a good deal. Uh, and, and then just for the heck of it. I, I another ukulele. I already have a five dollar ukulele. I'm oh. good. I think I have all the ukes I'll ever need. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I also picked up. I uh, love the uke. Go ahead. Yeah, but you don't love the five dollar uke. I know. <laughs> I'm kidding. Go ahead. I know it's all good fun. Uh, also, something I picked up. Uh, I, this is one of these things. I'm not. Even, I don't think I had this, but for three dollars, I just went ahead and picked it up. Uh, you know, real sports soccer for the Atari Fifty Two Hundred, uh, along with the. Uh, I even has the overlay. I think it's just pretty cool with the uh, Fifty Two Hundred cartridges. They have the little pocket to put the overlay, and that's probably why the only reason it's still there. Uh, and to even go a little more retro. Uh, I picked up Gravatar on PC CD-ROM. So now if I can just actually get it to play, but that'll be cool. Um, probably, what is this? This is, I'm not even sure. Oh, Windows 98 or higher. Okay, well, that's doable. Uh, Pentium 133 or higher, 16 mega ROM. Um, I need a 4X CD drive. So we'll, uh, <laughs> and uh, Windows compatible sound card. Uh, that'll be interesting. Windows yeah, we'll 10, 11. It might not actually run on Windows 10. You might have to run it under DOSBox or something. I, I, you know, I might just have to run an old machine. I, I'll try one of these XP machines I have here. But it was a dollar. It was on the dollar shelf. So I, for a dollar, I said, eh, I'll buy that for a dollar. Why not? So I did. The label, the label looks cool. Yeah. It's, and finally, uh, I think finally, finally, finally. I know finally. Everyone's already finally. Finally. And this one is Coco related and is a new acquisition and is... Um, a recent game of the week. I went ahead. I got my pipes, ah. pipes ah. rally uh, SG uh, CD. Sorry. Still in the shrink wrap. Still in the shrink shrink wrap. Yeah. Well, that that way it stays fresh. <laughs> but you have to open it to get the rally SG editor. I know. I do. Uh, no, I emailed it. Uh, do I email it? I can email it to you. Oh, you can. It, it doesn't matter either way. I just, I just, it's been sitting here. I just haven't gotten to it. Jason. Yeah. Your brother Ken is asking if you have 5200 controllers that work. Mm, define work. <laughs> yeah, the answer is always going to be no these days. No, I, yeah. Daniel, Daniel Spears replied, damn joystick buttons wore out quick. Yes, they did. Yeah, there's a whole problem with the whole flex circuit on that. From what I understand, uh, Best Electronics, and I believe they're still out there, Best Electronics has, I think, rebuild. I think they still have rebuild kits or they do do rebuilds i think still um 
And other thing I other thing I found out, and I made an adapter for this way back when is actually where you can. I made a Y cable where you plug in a 15 pin uh, PC joystick and use that instead. And you have a Y cable and the Y cable is where you plug in the, the 5200 controller for all the 5200, you know, the start, pause, reset and all the uh, buttons at the bottom. But why? Hmm. Get it? Y cable. Why? <laughs> yes. Why? Like the capital Y in the Wallaby cable. Asparagus, <laughs> Nick. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I have. So, uh, you know, you know, Nick, we can talk for hours. He, he can talk for hours about himself. So, yes, <laughs> enough about enough about me. Let's talk about me. Hey, Jason, just teasing. Yes, yes it's Sloopy. Go ahead, um, Sloopy. I'm the Atari guy. Stick to your own corner. <laughs> oh, this is this is uh, just one of the many facets. I have around here, but that's just one of those things. We love all things retro. The oh, multi-versatile yeah, Cocoa Man. Stop. Well, like I said, this is this can, you can hook this up to the Cocoa. So, what was that? A, I can hook this. Uh, th this is the that Sega, the Sega uh, uh, arcade controller. Oh, with a uh, with a Paragon or or like yeah, with what? a Paragon or the the Neil Blanchard Neils. adapter, or yep. I think or. They're, they made adapters way back when. I think there's Coco another fellow PSG. I saw on I saw on Facebook that has that has one. Or you can you can roll your own. It's just oh, it's Coco a, PSG. Yeah, there's a lot of options. Oh yeah. yeah, there's a lot of options out there. I I have I have the Paragons myself, but there are there are other options. I think Neil's Neil Blanchard's uh, there is a function where you could use more more than the the two buttons. Yes. If someone's coded for it, I don't know how much software is available for that right now, but that's that's a pretty cool idea. I mean, this is only a three button. I think I I think his supports the six button. I thought it did too. I'm not sure. I, I think so. This has got mega fire make it's got three mega fire. It's got a mega fire speed control on it. I haven't had a chance to check it out. I need to dig out my Genesis and try it on there first. But uh that's all I have. Right that now. auto key repeat fire and speed adjustment. That's cheating, man. Ah, damn kids. You have Don't to get calluses on your thumbs like we did in the old days. And walk up You're both distorting hills. the hobby. Distorting the hobby. Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> uh, walking. We had to walk uphill both ways in the snow with no shoes, right? Literally, I have to do that now. Thanks. Well, well, you, you're, you're up there. You're up there in a great white north. I would expect that. You, you have your snowshoes. Yeah, foot and a half of snow in, in a week. It's great. It's okay. already right. a metric foot. <laughs> half All a right. meter then for those. Since we're talking about Neil, I can go next and show something off real quick, if that's okay. Okay. Go. I got Neil's game. Can you zoom that in, uh, Mark? Yeah. Nick, that's about the size of the game thing that uh, Jason got. I that's will gonna, show you. That's okay. gonna hurt if you sit uh, on it. Yeah, it's, Here, it's a, here's a 12 inch ruler for uh, for size comparison for. Oh, uh, oh. It's, oh it's, about, a, it's about uh, it's about 14. Uh, I don't know the. It's not uh, a one third meter. It's about 14 inches wide anyway, and it's got your it's got your uh, the ball. You raise okay, it up, up is down. Down is up. Up is down. Yeah, okay. just. Hold it okay, still. So there's, there's your, uh, you got your ball stick there. This unscrews. This comes undone. You screw it on. Got your uh, proper button. arcade buttons. And it connects with a 
Sorry, left is right, right is left. Like you're trying to dodge my view here. Ethernet. Eth- it comes with an Ethernet to DIN cable. <laughs> so you plug in. So you plug in the, the uh, DIN cable on. That's like an RJ45. Oh. It's not okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Connect to the U- it's the an RJ45. Technically, yes. it's an RJ45. Well, it's funny when I, saw, when, I, when I saw it. I thought, what is it like for more upgradable over the online or something? But no, it's the uh, it's no, that's, that's a, what he used to connect. So it's uh, and it's it's very nice, and it has a uh, sorry, it has this black. Ah, oh, I really suck at doing this. It's got this black uh, thing too that goes underneath. Oh, so, a little uh, O-ring, a little little O-ring. Little so this thing. is the serious four micro switch joystick that can't be killed with hammers or. Very, very nice wood construction. It's that looks really which nice. finish did you get? Because he actually offers multiple ones. You know what? This was actually gifted to me. So it's it's the dark. I don't know what what it's called, but it's a dark. It's the dark brown, uh, classic wood. See, yeah, I'm scared to order one of those because I do occasionally rage quit games, and I'd probably take out a wall if I threw that. <laughs> of course, of course, I tested buzzard bait with it, and it worked very well. Uh, DV that explains your high score. You no, cheated. no, actually, I did that with the Black Beauty, but it's clicky. I don't know if you can hear. Yeah, that that's that, that's the good stuff. It's a real arcade joystick, and it's a real arcade button. And it's got it's got rubber feet on the bottom, um, so you can put it on a table or in your lap. Or I, I actually I put mine on a drawer. I open the drawer and I lay it across the drawer, uh, and I, I play. And that. they're rubberized feet, so it doesn't slide around. It it's rubberized feet. And uh, yeah, it's very nice. Is, is the rubber speed nice. ready for minus forty degree temperatures when I play outside? Or <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see your cocoa work outside. Well, I can overclock the crap out of it when it's minus forty there. I don't even Actually, have to yeah, add in cooling. It'd probably, yeah, it'd probably. Melt. That's my forty megahertz six zero nine then. So you can melt this... the snow and uh, in the uh, winter. So uh, I'll put a little plug to Neil Blanchard. If yeah, write to Neil at cococo.org if you're interested in getting one and it does come in different finishes i don't know what they are but uh, i'm sure he can answer your questions and that, very, that looks really well nice. So nice thank you neil for uh, uh and thank you to the person who, who who gifted this to me i don't know who it was it was anonymous and uh thank you to neil for shipping it neil shipped it from uh from uh the niagara region and it uh, came very well very well packaged so thank you very much neil blanchard and thank you to my mystery i, I want to issue benefactor. a public I want to issue a public plea to Neil and John and the rest of them at the Coco crew because they do sell some pretty cool products, but there's no storefront anywhere really for it. They really need to get something, whether they shared with cloud nine or something, but a lot of people keep asking for their stuff. And the only way to contact them for any of this stuff is email. And that's not something you can really post easily on a website or, you know, mention a link type thing. So I'd really like it if they add some central point, all the stuff they sell because they have to keep re-advertising stuff, you know, a year after, because, you know, newer people don't know about the old stuff or older people forget about it because it's not been talked about because it's not the active new thing. And they really need to get a nice central site that has everything that they all as a group offer. Uh, I think that would really help their sales and stuff here too. That, that's something that makes it easier because I, I was dealing with a similar issue and I did finally find something that works for me. It might not work for them, but it works for me. It's easy and it's uh, fairly inexpensive. Oh, Ben Drake's gave me a great idea. So next week, Curtis, I will have a uh, 10 minute ASMR video of me clicking the buttons. So you can add that to your newsfeed. Uh. <laughs> Stay tuned for that. Sure, my high score click. I, I, put, me. 
I put Neil's email address in the YouTube chat. N-E-I-L at CocoCoo.org if you're interested in getting any of the products we've mentioned of his today, which has been his joystick adapter and the Gamester joystick. So Gamester. there you go. I like that. Name. ASMR. I'm going to have good? to do some stepper motors for floppy drives. <laughs> I, can, I can hear now. I, ASMR it's for it's David Ladd is, uh, is uh, Grease Weasel. Don't forget the headbanger bug. Yeah, put a, put a fifteen forty one in there and just throw a random head crash. That'd be good. <laughs> yeah. Actually, when you're downloading WeFax, the noise that the uh, receiver makes is a good one for that. I don't even know what that sounds Speak. like. So here comes Ron's AMSR video. Oh yeah, <laughs> coming up next from the observatory. Yeah. Okay, show us what you got, Ron. All right, give me the screen. Uh, okay. Okay. <clears throat> Do you see Ron's garage? Yes. yes. Okay. What we have here is... Uh, the latest i reposted this thing showing the graphic tablet and uh, you can use that to uh draw things it's all in there take a look sometime i uh brought up my um model 4p recently because i lost the badge over here uh for the longest while i haven't had it and i thought you know maybe i could order one somewhere so i went on the uh model one four 4P group and asked around and sure enough there was a guy and he sent me one nine bucks later there it is so fix that found this uh, old um, ploppy looks like it came from a store as a demo for the Coco and yep, sure that's enough, the Spectral Associates is. Christmas demo they gave to the Radio Shack to show off in the Radio Shack stores yeah and it runs perfectly it works great I'm going to have to do a uh, video of that. And then there's this. And this is uh, a WeFax picture that I downloaded. You guys uh, familiar with any of that in your head in the yeah, past? Cool. Yep. Transmitting weather uh, information via fax over radio. Yeah. Really cool. Weather facts. Mm -hmm. And they still broadcast. What is this thing there? Okay, and then uh, this is how uh, um, well, I'm going to go to the WeFX thing next. But um, this is my MicroWorks uh, DS69. Uh, I had it, used it, broke it, sent it back, and they sent me another one as a 69B, and they didn't charge me. It was awesome. Now, the 69 was the original Cocoa 1 and 2, and the 69B was the one that could handle double speed in a Cocoa 3, wasn't it? Correct. Yep. It's a great thing. Anyway, this is the uh, new group I made. It's called uh, Tandy Color Computer WeFax Group. And I made a group because uh, I didn't want all my uh, 
Equifax pictures that I downloaded to be all mashed into my uh, Ron's Garage group, and I thought it would be separate and talk about it. This is uh, some of the latest stuff I downloaded. This came out so nice and clear, which it doesn't always do, but in this case it did. I used my uh, DX440 and it worked perfect, the realistic. Um, also, this is where they come from, uh, the Ocean Prediction Center. And that's really interesting to look at and read and find out about. They have graphs and stuff that you can go look at that they uh, broadcast. And this is me actually downloading. I think this is a vid video. I'm going to play it. Can you hear any sound? This is where you want to hear it. No, I can't hear anything. No, I don't hear anything. All right. How do, how do I make it so you can hear it? You have to oh. go do the advanced settings on screen sharing to select oh, your system crap. sound. <laughs> All right. Well, you're just we going to you're just gonna have to take my word for it. It's an annoying the Facebook page and, and loud sound. Directly. Yes, you can hear it there. Anyway, um, that's the DX440 Coco setup. It has, uh, it's on uh, 12780 kilohertz, and then it just comes in line by line. And I didn't uh, think I could do it again, but uh, sure enough, I went and looked. And then somebody mentioned having a um, SDR to receive WeFax. And SDR is a uh, software derived receiver. And um, you could actually go on the internet and listen to shortwave on um, your PC. And this is it here. Oh, wow. You turn so you're li literally feeding the audio into yep. your effects thing? and Yeah, on this jack here. This is my yep. uh, Coca One running WeFax and downloading a picture from the internet through the um, someone's radio. <laughs> Just anything that can make audio. Yeah. That's Ron, nice. Ron, do you know, was was the WeFax viewing programs ever updated for the Coco 3 to use the higher res, or was it strictly yeah, Coco well, 1 and 2? Um, no. It's the same exact thing as the uh, as Coco One uses, only they just changed the palettes. On, on All right. I Cocoa thought there was a Coco Three One that it was a it was a paid one. No, I'm not sure about that. Okay, but I do know um, you can receive uh, slow scan TV. There, I I actually um, on this um, Tandy Color Computer WeFax group have posted a um, Greater Toledo Color Computer Club. Uh, ham disk that has WeFax in it and um, Ready and Slow Scan TV in it. So if you want to go and download that and uh, play with it, see if you can get it working. The, I, uh, this is the um, same version that uh, the Coco 1 and 2 uses, but uh, with the palette changes, I made it so it was black, white lettering on black screen. It's a little more pleasing, but it still has this stupid green. Uh, background see here yeah on the border yeah i'd like to get that black i don't know how to do it not on uh coco one and two anyway yeah, yeah coco vga will do it yeah 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 you're right yeah but the old sam chip won't right yeah no. so anyway uh, on this you start the sound over here and uh, this is a spectrum of uh frequencies 
and they has a, what's called a waterfall here. And basically, as time goes on, you see a line for all the different broadcasts, and then they have them tagged. There's little tags here. And in the tags, sometimes it'll say WeFax, and you click on it, and it's already centered on the frequency, and you can adjust it a little bit. And what you do is um, on the WeFax program, it has a little oscillator thing showing. And when you have it all plugged in and working, um, uh, the, the, um, the, the uh, how do you say, the oscillation of it going back and forth is what causes the on and off the black and white to go across how, the screen. How long does it take to capture an image? Uh, it's about, what, uh, 10 minutes or so. Right. It isn't as long as you'd think. It looks like it's going to take forever. You lift the joystick up and put it on 120 lines per, per minute, I guess it is. And then you bring the joystick down so it starts scanning down. And then usually they um, see this bar here. They broadcast a bar along with the chart. And you want to make sure that bar is to the side. Sometimes it starts in the middle or toward the end. And you, you either um, move your joystick to the left or to the right so it's on an end. And then the frame comes all in, and you don't have that bar in the middle. That's how you frame the picture as it comes in. Mm. It's it's pretty cool. Um, I, I didn't think I I'd be able to do it again. I didn't think – I went and looked on uh, Google to find out, do they actually broadcast the same 120 lines per minute, you know, that uh, Coco would still be able to, to decode it. And sure enough, they do. Pretty neat. Hmm. Your tax dollars at work? Yeah. Well, they're from all over the world. I mean, there's broadcasting places all over the world that do this. This is the uh, main screen on the Coco. Uh, whoever did it made it uh, red. And this is how fast it loads in on the SDC. It's much slower on uh, when you're, you're – floppy drive loads it in you know it's a screen at a time and it takes a little bit but in the beginning here um you have a, a load and you can load a whole panel in there's two two basic panels they're all loaded into the um floppy drive and you don't see a directory of them there it's like hidden the program manipulates them and they're in graphicom format you can view, or you can load, or you can save them. So when you get, uh, when you do your 120 lines per minute, and it and it loads all the all the buffer in, and then you go to save and save it in either bank one or bank two. Uh, <clears throat> and that's pretty much it. This is the uh, two um, hashes there are. One's for 1500, and one's for 2300. And you'll get the signal bouncing back and forth between the two, or sometimes just on one end. And uh, when you when you have a radio, um, you can adjust the BFO so that it stays in between these two lines. When you have it on the um, uh, SDR on the uh, internet, um, you would change the frequency by hitting plus or minus on the software to um, change the frequency. And uh, anyway, once once it's in here, you know, uh, basically what you have is ones and zeros, you know, and that and that's what it's decoding. 
and you want to be able to have definite ones and zeros or you're going to get uh, static. And static is mostly what you get until you figure out, you know, how it works. Now on my computer, um, it's a little different. On my um, receiver, you can make the jack fit against the um, uh, against the socket and have sound coming out at the same time as the computer is receiving it. And that's the way I keep it so that I can adjust the um, tone or the sound, you know, the frequency. But on um, the SDR on the computer, when you push it in the jack, it, it doesn't get anything till you push it all the way in and then it switches it. So it makes it a little more difficult because you can't hear anything. I tried to do um, uh, audio on and then run the program, but just as soon as it loads all the machine language in and flips to the screen that I'm pointing to, uh, it goes off so you can't hear it. So is a WeFax data itself, is it read through the uh, the cassette port or the serial yeah, port? Yeah, the cassette, uh, same line that you would listen for a program. Okay. Yeah, it's usually yeah, it's, like it's, the gray it's one. frequency shift keying, just slightly different numbers. I mean, the Coco uses 1,200 and 2,400 for cassette data, and this is using, what, 1,500 and 2,300 for the uh, ons Could and be, offs? Yeah, I, I actually... But, it's probably using that, that same circuit that's used to decode cassette data. Mm -hmm. at, at the top, it has 60, 90, and 120. The 120s, the only thing I know that they broadcast. And I think in the old days, they had these other ones. And then the other thing that's out there is the RIDI. And I'm not sure how that works. I tried it a couple of times. If you hear like Morse code on um, your um, radio, um, you tune into that, and it has a similar um, scale but with no numbers. It's just a, a right and a left that it bounces back and forth on. And I guess one's a, a space and a, and a dash, I don't know, or a dot and a dash or something. But anyways, uh, but below that is, uh, and I think it's 45 words per second or something like that, or 45 baud and 65 words, letters per minute, something like that. Anyways, uh, it starts translating all these beeps, which is pretty cool. But I haven't got that to work lately. Back in the day, 35 years ago, I, I used to do it a lot. And uh, it would be really interesting to, to pay attention to and listen to other people, you know, talking back and forth and all that stuff. This is uh, some more... Um, now, this shows the WeFax 3 for Color Computer 3 and just WeFax. WeFax just for Coco 1 and 2, WeFax 3 for both. I didn't realize, I tried, I, I saved them both on one um, floppy thinking, uh, hopefully, that it wouldn't interfere with the save space for the pictures, and it didn't. So I'm going to try and make it so each... Um, floppy that I make, I'm up to 11 now on WeFax 11. Uh, each one I make has both programs on it, so you can look at it uh, whether you have a Coco 1 or 2. Uh, anyway, that's that. Uh, see what else I got. That's pretty much it. 
the uh, very good beginning. The beginning of the program shows um, uh, explains what it does, and it has a countdown. Uh, and while it's counting down, it's loading the machine language in from basic. So if somebody was to, um, I suppose you can go ahead and, um, you know, some people are good with their uh, machine language code. They could probably just make the machine language program and not have that front end so that it just comes up and starts running. I don't know. So I don't know about programming. Oh, I want. I wanted to show something else, but I think, I don't know. Let's see, what else do I have? That's about it, I guess. So I covered all those areas. There's all kind. yeah, this is it. I, uh, this is what, um, from here on my radio, I can reach Louisiana. And I was at uh, this um, one, two, seven, nine, oh, frequency and that's what I got those um, downloads so they worked really good there's all kinds of charts like these that give you the frequencies and then they tell you what charts are presented during the day you know at different hours this is um, uh, universal time so I think what you do is you go on uh, Google and you look up current universal time and then you'll be able to know what charts being sent at what time, if you wanted to get a picture of um, which one of the ones that I uploaded has a picture of the earth, which, you know, doesn't look very good, but um, overlaid on the picture of the earth is like a chart of uh, the United States. And you can tell that, you know, where it's not cloudy and not cloudy. And um, that's pretty cool to look at, but there's no definition, you know, cause it's just black and white. But um, I guess other software you can get online will actually decode a uh, color picture that you can get from them with all the isobars and all that stuff on it, which is real interesting. Anyway, that's it, guys. I'll uh, give it back now. I did my part. Um, Hooray. Shows. Maybe uh, are, are we back? Maybe next time uh, yep. I, I, I'll have a new, um, another new uh, group to share with everybody. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anybody else got anything? I have one quick oh. one. Okay. So uh, Paul Pescarelli uh, had sent me a, a prototype of his joystick adapter to plug in a Coco joystick into a little board that he made. And combined with another board that you plug into a USB port on a computer, so you can use Coco joysticks on real, on, on games on the emulators. And I think I'd mentioned before that um, the USB micro USB cable here, when I unplugged it, actually ripped the connector right off the board because it's such a fine <laughs> glue on there and stuff on there. So oh, I didn't even have to touch a soldering iron; I broke something. But uh, just to give a shout out to Paul, he actually sent me a replacement daughter board, which I haven't even opened yet because I was letting it warm up after being in my mailbox in minus 10 for a while. So I'll be actually installing that this weekend, hopefully get that back up and running again. And I'm also going to be flashing the latest Kimi X because I was going to do that last weekend and didn't get a chance to. So I'll be doing a couple of you know, hardware upgrades, which you don't hear from my mouth very often. <laughs> so but I wanted to shout out to Paul for the, the excellent customer service and sending me a replacement board to fix up the, the damaged one. 
Okay, cool. I got to go, guys. Have a good night. All right. See you. Bye. Well, are we ready Later, to? Sir. So I guess I'll throw one last thing out. Remember uh, one of the bins on YouTube? It's Ben Eater or Ben Heck or somebody built a 6502 computer on breadboards. I'm starting down that path. Here's the address decoder for a Cocoa expansion card on a breadboard to which I will be clipping more breadboards onto to add various things. Uh, kind of fun. It actually works. It doesn't crash the cocoa. <laughs> That's can, can you hold it up again and have uh, Mark uh, zoom it in? Because I couldn't really see what that was. Oh, well, here's the thing I've got. It's uh, a bunch of O3s and an O4 and a cocoa bus. And uh, then I clip another breadboard on that, another breadboard on that. <laughs> and... Uh, just, How big is this going to be when you're done? Oh, um, approximately 350 times larger than the actual product, <laughs> which will fit in a ROM pack case. So, <laughs> but this one will fit in your bedroom there. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I just, I just thought I'd see how far you can push a breadboard. I didn't think they would even work <laughs> on a computer until I saw the 6502 built on a breadboard and said, "Well, hell, if you can do that, you can plug that into a cocoa and just kind of." build all kinds of crap off the side of it like Lego blocks. So I'm headed down that road. But the yeah. 6502 doesn't work. <laughs> well, for certain values of work, it works. <laughs> I mean, didn't the breadboard get up to about a megahertz or so? Mm, I got OS 9 to clock the bus decoders at least. So it's working at two so far. Okay. How far will that go? Probably not. But uh, <laughs> I thought it was kind of fun that it worked. I should have had a video with the little LEDs lighting up and stuff, but I'm totally unprepared today. So I don't. All right. Well, that's cool. Anybody else have any uh, project updates or acquisitions to talk about? This just in. My. Uh, Hi. Mm. MC thirty two X thirty two SD just walked in the door. Nice. So you're one of those people that had ordered them completely out of stock now. <laughs> Correct. It's not out of stock here. <laughs> Does that so mean you're selling it? So that was your fault. So you're gonna list on eBay for four hundred bucks? Hell no. <laughs> Going to my MC ten right there. I know it was a joke. <laughs> Yeah. I Although I should list it now that, you know, everybody's being, mm. but yeah, uh, my wife just walked in and handed this to me. So there we go. They're out there. They're arriving. Oh, you think you can do a live demo week. of it How next it week? Goes. Oh, yeah, probably. I have time to get some stuff on one of the cards. It also does MC server stuff. So I have to get it hooked up to my uh, Raspberry Pi. I'd love to see a demo of that in action, actually, uh, next week if you if you're up to it. Uh, are we warming up to the MC10 here, guys? <laughs> yeah, well, oh, not yet. Yeah. We've never we've never been against the MC10. It was an inside. It was just a joke. But. Yeah, it, it's a joke that's gotten kind of old, so I don't do it anymore. I, I know good. Rob doesn't get to watch the show too often, so we actually kind of played it up again last week. But okay, good. Yeah, the MC10 is actually getting uh, pretty cool with all these new things yep. being added to it. Pretty soon, Nick will even be programming for it. The other Nick. Nah. 
Yeah, let's get uh, pipes and uh, rally SG on the S on the MC10. Can't. It doesn't have semi graphics mode. Oh, Ooh, that's true, right? Actually, it does no not even with the, uh, the 8K ROM or 8K no. hack. I don't think it does either, does it? No, it doesn't. No, doesn't have a SAM. No, just a VDG. Oh, well, did you port donut dilemma then? <laughs> Thought you were to sneak out of that, did you? <laughs> Are we ready to stick a fork in this one? Yes. Yep. Yes. Okay. Oh, yes. Forking time. <laughs> this concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to CocoTalk at CocoTalk.live. CocoTalk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because CocoTalk is rocking the 8-bit world. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click the Patreon link at our website at CocoTalk.live. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Coco Talk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Grant Leedy, Bruce Moore, Nick Marenkis, Ron Delvo, Rick Adams, Jason Riker, Richard Lorbieski, Jim Brain, Tom C., Rob Inman, Mark Bosley, Brian Joyce, Ken Riker, David O'Connor, Brian Weasler, Terry Steggy, Nick Morota, John Strong, and many more, especially to Steve Bjork for production suggestions and James Diffendaffer for making my head explode. help support the Coco community by visiting some of its various contributors. A list of resources is available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. And with that, I guess it's bye, everybody. Unless we have some last, right. last comment. Button, Frank. See you all next week. Bye.